Hi, welcome to Sweetman Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Simon Sweetman. This must be episode 269. My thanks, as always, to Yeastie Boys and Tea Leaf Tea. This is a conversation with Andrew Gladstone. He is the drummer, well, he is a drummer, and he is the drummer for Garage Land. Now, you've got to believe me when I say this podcast was going to happen a year or two ago. It's got nothing to do with the fact that Garage Land have reformed and are about to go on tour, but that is now a really convenient bonus that we finally sat and had this conversation. Uh, to explain that a little bit further, I've, I've met Andrew a few times over the last few years, and we know each other online, and at one point I said to him, oh, you'd be a great person for me to chat to with my podcast, because I knew that not only was he a drummer and he played in a band I liked, but um, he collects drums restores them, hires them out to people to use um, and I thought that was interesting and he said oh you know we could have a chat one day but I don't don't think it'd be that interesting and um, so it sort of got put off for a bit and I was convinced he'd be a great guest. Then of course this gift arrives that Garage Land have reformed to play uh, their debut album Last Exit to Garage Land to celebrate its 25th anniversary so again on a recent trip to Hawke's Bay where Andrew lives I um, I sort of put the feelers out, bad pun, about New Zealand bands from years ago, I, and uh, asked if he would do it. Um, and he was keen, because of course he's got something to plug now too. So we had a great chat, we talked about the history of the band. I loved this band, they were a big deal for me, I don't know about you, but um, probably at some point you knew some of their songs and maybe loved them. And I'm looking forward to the concert, to the reunion tour, I'm going to go to at least one show, maybe two. And so we did talk about that, he got he got plenty of plugs in for that. but. Um, Yeah, we talked about the band. This band formed, you know, 30 years ago. And uh, it was originally a band of schoolmates, basically. And then it it developed and evolved over the years. But we talked through some of the highs and lows of this band. You know, they had a hit album and then they tried to follow it up. And they went overseas and they tried to be one of those bands that was going to do big things. And, man, they had a single mixed by John Cale of the Velvet Underground. They met some of their heroes. They did some cool things. But it also, they had moments where it came crashing down. Uh, Andrew relocated to Hawke's Bay a few years ago and ended up, he sort of wanted to move away from the music industry and ended up playing more music than he ever had before. Um, most recently he's been quite involved in uh, in a couple of band projects with Fane Floors, who of course is a previous podcast guest and, and, and recently left this world. Um, so we started off talking a bit about Fane and RIP there. We talked a bit about Andrew's involvement with Fane's music and, and how that in a way had got him right back into playing. Um, so it's a cool chat and then it has the bonus that it's also uh, going to remind you to buy some tickets for the show so I'll have links to all of that as well um, we do talk about drums but we don't just talk about drums Andrew's also very passionate about cars so we talk about that a little bit too great conversation, love this I uh, hope you like it too this is me talking with Andrew Gladstone the drummer from Garage Land. So I don't know how long we've known each other but we've only had a couple of chats in person but we know each other on Facebook I feel like you yeah. might have come and Introduce yourself to me at the Cabana. Yeah, well, something you, like that. You were playing with. Um, oh, was you were it? playing drums. Oh, right. Um, when I did the spines, filling in for yeah, the spines, perhaps. Yeah, with yeah, Julie yeah. Lamb. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They yeah. were playing as well. That's right. And I think the entire audience was outside yeah, smoking yeah, cigarettes. Yeah, yeah, big time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it was a small. <laughs> and the band were playing for an empty room. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. Pretty typical of venues these days. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, um, but we we had. No, I mean, I know you. I know what you've done, and I know your music. And, and I'd seen you play long before I knew you, but we must have just connected on Facebook. But how long have you been in Napier? Uh, it'd be about 13 years mm. now. 2007, yeah. end of 2000, so coming up 14. Yeah. Okay. And um, I guess, um, well, firstly, um, 
Uh, sorry for your loss with Fame Floors. Yeah, that was, well, not a shock, but... No, um, but, I mean, I, I yeah, knew uh, Fane a little bit, I knew what was happening, but you were you, you, you knew him very well. Yeah, I'd become good friends with him. I mean, he shoulder-tapped me at a gig once and said, mm. I want you to be in my band. Mm. And I just went, you're all right. And I had never met him before, but I knew who he was. Yeah, yeah. And um, that was quite a few years ago now. I think it's probably about nine years mm, ago. Mm, I was thinking that. that and, uh, yeah, I've just done loads of mm. gigs. I've done tours with The Bend and um, mm. uh, and at a time where I said I was never going to tour again. Yeah. I hated touring, yeah. um, sleeping in the back of a van yeah, and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They talked me into it. It was one of the most fun tours I've ever done, mm. to the two that we did. Mm. Um, yeah, so no, he's a fantastic guy. A bit of recording with him, yeah. Bit of recording, although to be honest, I think nearly everything I've recorded has been vocals. Yeah, yeah. Because they've always they've had a they've got a drummer in Sydney that mm, they would use who's mm. way better than me. He's better than most drummers. Right. He's fantastic. He's like yeah. you probably just set them away and just mm. he'll record them all. Um, and there's these you know Bruno Lawrence tracks yeah, that they were yeah. using. Yeah, and, yeah. But um, nice to be, I mean, amazing to be part of that legacy. I mean, that album that just came yeah. out, the, the Bend record, yeah. is with the Bruno recordings on it, yeah. and the Sam, of all the Sam Hunt poems, that's beautiful. I mean, the whole thing is beautiful. It's really nice, and, and I do, I, I, I feature on a few, yeah. I, I'm, I'm on vocals. Yeah, yeah. Features. You but, probably but can't that, even pick it, but that's no, no, kind of no. nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, but I just, from reading the booklet, I knew that, and then listening to it, and I just sort of thought, like, you know, for people like, I um, mean, you know, for Margot as well, I'm yeah. just sort of thinking the people, him bringing people into the fold from different eras and generations with the original, sort of the three yeah. of them that always work together um, with Peter and Tony, it's just, it's just must be nice to be oh, on the record, so to speak, with Yeah, them, well, I mean. with doing the Ben tour, mm. I mean, I was pretty much taking Bruno's place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, so. I, I, and mainly they, I mean, I was, I could do the drumming. Um, yeah. But I, I was another vocal, basically. Mm, mm. I, Tony loves working with vocals, and mm. and he's um, fantastic to work with around yeah, that. Yeah, he's a great singer. But and Fane's just this, you know, was I suppose I should say, mm. um, you know, an incredible force, force of mm. energy and force of nature. And like, funny. You'd be literally about to do a gig the next day and you'd get one rehearsal and I wouldn't even get to play drums and I'd be sitting in his lounge mm. and we'd just work on vocals and then he'd change things and then he'd add another song yeah. that we've never heard before. Yes, I feel like he carried so much in his head. Like he knew yeah. he knew how it was going to work and, he, and to the point though too that he had that faith in the people he used. He's kind of yeah. like, my idea is going to translate. I'm going to tell them what to do and they're going to deliver. Yeah, and often it was... Disastrous, Chaotic. but it was kind of, but it was <laughs> yeah. fun. Yeah. Um, and, well, that was know, the cool thing is he wasn't precious about it, right? No. Like, it was about I mean, he the often, idea. He was often the first one to fuck it up. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. He'd yeah. forget the lyrics or he'd go. Because he's a self-taught artist in all regard. Yeah. Like, that's that was the the thing, was the idea. Yeah. And he's mm. and a man of so many ideas going on at once, mm. which is why, um, you know, it's a shame, obviously, that, you know, he died... Yeah, feels too young. I think mm. he's seventy. It's not that young, but it's. Well, he was. He, he felt like a young seventy. <laughs> well, and it's so much mm. on. And he said to me one day when he was quite sick, he said, "You know, you just think." He goes, "I feel like I've just wasted time." He goes, "You know, you think you don't think this is going to happen, and you know you, um, so you you fuck around lying on the couch watching cricket or something." Yeah. His idea of 
lying on the couch not doing anything was probably quite different to mine because yes, he'd probably yeah. be sketching something yes, or yes, be working yes. on something. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And as even I said, look, everybody's like that. Mm. I mean, well, mm. most people. Yeah. None yeah. of us, like, you know, when we're lying on the couch thinking I shouldn't be doing this because I might get cancer tomorrow, mm. it's, it's uh, one of those things. But he just, but he had so many started projects. Yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I got like a... a well, pretty near to a deathbed message from him, just say, like thanking me for the review yeah. um, of the bend, but saying, you know, you haven't heard the last of me. I've got like a lot of pro, you know, the, they've got instructions. Oh, I've got yeah. a lot of pro- projects and a lot more stuff's coming out, and I hope you listen to it. And I, was, I, I kind of look at that message every now and then and just get, you know, yeah. a, a little bit of goosebumps because I just think, like, what a creative force. Yeah. And what a nutcase to, to yeah. as well like to have and and i can just hear his voice yeah and i didn't know him well you know i liked him and i met him a couple of times and had a big interview with him but i liked him i liked his work he's a very generous person mm. as well but mm. he was getting quite curmudgeonly towards yeah, the end yeah. um but understandably because he was barking out instruction literally the day before he passed yeah. away i went around to see him and you know there was nothing left of him by this yeah. point most yeah. people would have died yeah. weeks or months earlier but he had this he, he needed to get things finished and he didn't have a lot of patience especially he couldn't quite understand what he was talking about and um, he said to me I, I went into the room and he said something to me and Peter Dyson had, mm. was in the next room and he'd said oh, it's hard to understand what he's saying So, but he hates having to repeat himself he gets really grumpy so the first thing he says to me I didn't understand what he said so I just did the old yeah. oh yeah yeah and then he went to me, you didn't understand a word I said, did you? And I went, no. And so he told me again, but didn't. And he was talking about, do you like my new driveway? Yeah. And, um, and then he said, and he came up with this idea off the top of his head, there was one song that needs finishing, apparently, um, on the new children's record. Um, and it's a song with Jed Town, and it's got a punk feel, and he goes, I want you to play the drums on it. And he said, this is how it will go, and he, his energy picked up, he's in bed, and he started showing me where, how it would go, mm. roughly the structure of the song, mm. and then he goes, something like that anyway, and then he goes, but you must get it right, and, uh, and then he basically said, I'm tired now, I'll see you later, and, um, and that was the last I spoke to him, but... Um, and I still don't know, because I haven't talked to Tony and Peter about that song yet. <laughs> what you, what, you, what you've signed up for. <laughs> I think they think it's finished. I think they've just got to get hold of Jed. To, yeah. um, but, uh, and, I don't, and, I don't, and I said to him, oh, do you, is there a recording or a rough mm. recording of the song? He goes, I don't think so. Mm. He goes, talk to Tony, you might have something. Mm. And I'm like, okay. Um, but he was, and he was like that with everybody, his daughter, yeah. she, but then it was funny, though, at the yeah. same time. It, it, and he still had a sense of humour, but he was trying to get everything in a way. He'd organised his funeral. Mm, mm. Um, he'd made very clear instructions about what he wanted to happen, who he wanted playing. And I only learnt, you know, a few days before that I needed to play um, drums at the actual funeral service. And then I was told like two days before the funeral that they wanted me to speak and talk about the no engine period. And mm. I'm like, um, for a guy that's not really into public speaking, I'm like you're dumping this on me two days mm. before what will be a very big funeral. Mm. But it was good. It was. It was. Yeah, I saw some photos and it looked like an amazing send off. Yeah, as was, I would have, you know, expected. Yeah, it was. A, it was nice. It was, and it was, 
It had a light-hearted nature mm. about it. Well, mm. often some funerals do, but I always mm. found it weird that you can have people telling funny anecdotes about someone at a yes. funeral, but there's no applause yeah, afterwards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he'd made it clear that he wanted everyone to applaud. Yeah. <laughs> and laugh and applaud because, yeah. you know, it's, um, you know, it's, that's the way he wanted it. Mm. So. Um, yeah, so yeah, it's sad that he's gone because I played with him a lot. So yeah. it's one band I'm not in anymore. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a significant chapter of your musical yeah. output. Like a, that's what I thought because you had a few projects with him, basically. Yeah, and really out of my comfort, not yeah. comfort zone. I suppose, yeah, not what not, you would have thought you'd like, sign up for. Not something I'd ever played before. Yeah, um, which is cool. And so, you know, it was a lot of sort of funk and mm. jazz and stuff, and I'm not a jazz guy at all. And mm. I made that quite clear. I said, you know, I, I know probably more about ballet than jazz yeah. um, when it comes to playing. Yeah. And I don't know much about ballet. So, but it was fine then because he'd just go, no, it's fine. Just do what you, do what you want. It's funny um, with, um, I mean, drumming, there are people that play certain styles of drums and that's what they're good at. And, yeah. And, but it, it feels like an instrument where... Nine times out of ten, the person playing it, if they've got any facility at all, they'll like to have a go at something. Yeah. You know, there, there are those idioms that are their own language, like reggae drumming and jazz drumming. Yeah. But you can you can have a bit of a go. And, you can have a and, crack. And you can maybe pass, you know, yeah. for, for a lot well, of people. You, you might even come up with something that works yeah. even better. Cause, that's right. Cause um, you're, cause you're, he'd worked with a bunch of other... Probably, he'd, he'd, there was a... A myriad of drummers that mm. um, he's used and that could that he could have continued to use mm. that would be more suited. And, we, and I felt quite out of my depth <laughs> because I'm playing with people like you know Willie Devine and yeah. uh, Anton and Margot yeah. and and what Peter Dason and stuff. Yeah. And I felt woefully sort of um, sort of unqualified to do this. But in the end. Um, I think the biggest thing that he really wanted was a drummer that would sing. So there was that. But I found that, you know, you could, you know, I really enjoyed playing with Willie as a, as a rhythm mm. section. And so it was great, um, great fun playing with him. We'd have some real fun with it. Because one of the things with playing with Fane live is that if you suddenly felt like you should go on a groove on something, he would encourage it. Yeah, he'd, yeah. Go, he'd just look around and go, I'd nod and go, well, yeah. yeah, no, keep that yeah, going. Yeah, like and so going. me and Willie would just play on a groove and, and sometimes they would go on way too long. That mm. was always a problem mm. with Thane is that he would, um, things would go on a bit. But uh, it, it took me into an area that I had never really mm. been in before as a drummer. Well, we, and, and were you aware of, um, were you aware of, say, like Bruno as a drummer? Did he, had he meant anything to you at all before you not, were given the task of approximating him or whatever? Not, no, yeah, I'm not as a drummer, I knew him as an yeah, actor. Yeah, obviously everyone yeah. knows him, but because, you know, I yeah. think he's quite a fantastic drummer in yeah. many ways and, and a little bit under, maybe because he achieved so much with acting, yeah. a little bit under, not appreciated, but just under-discovered. Uh, definitely, I mean, I don't, I think M. Fain would talk about it because he, he was jazz trained so yeah, he could play yeah. all that, the jazz chops and stuff. Yeah. Um, but I think he was also, um, he wasn't too showy. Mm. And, and I think there's, no, it's the track on the, it's on the latest album that one of Bruno's drum mm, tracks mm. where it's just got um, one hit of the yes, snare yes. and that's the solo yes and because he, he'd often told me but he goes we've got this thing because yeah, yeah. he goes 
Bruno Roy, the only drum solo he wanted to do, the best drum solo, was just this yeah. one mighty hit on the snare drum, yeah. and that was it. And I'm personally, I was like going, oh, that is perfect yeah. because I hate drum solos, yeah, I can't yeah. do them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's great watching someone else do yeah, one occasionally, yeah, 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 yeah. you know, if you keep it down to a, yes, a, if, a very manageable, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and it's um, 10 minutes, I'm starting to get a bit, Yeah. and I've seen that before and go, oh, and when it's when it's just chops and no music yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. and yeah. Um, whereas I, I've got none of the chops and I don't care and it's, I'm lazy I've never learned them mm. that was the only problem was doing the funeral that it was we were opening with all you need is love and it starts with that big pressure roll and, and the, the <laughs> yeah, pressure yeah. roll and I'm like oh, man, I wish I'd learned how to do that I suppose I could learn in a couple of days yeah and in the end I just thought nah I'll just we were just going to be doing it. No one really looked at me going, there should be a press roll here because I was playing with Patrick Bleakley on mm, bass right in front mm. of me and stuff. But I thought, what I do know is in the outro of this song, Ringo goes from a very swing feel to a very straight 4-4 feel. Mm. And it sort of changes the dynamic of the song in the outro, but everyone else keeps playing the same. So I did that and I sort of felt that I was getting the odd look like, oh, it's interesting. Mm. Now we've gone to a sort of a swing feel to a straight feel, but that's how it is on the record. Yeah. So I thought, well, I, I'm I'm pretty good at getting those sorts of things right as long as I can play it. Uh, I'll know if I notice it, I'll go. I I, I like the fact when I'm yeah. listening to it, I was going, that's really cool that he did mm. that because mm. that's you know not many people would do that. Mm. You just carry on the um, the same feel. That's right. Yeah. In yeah, the yeah. fade out. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me, where did you um, come into this world if if not Hawke's Bay? Um, England, Manchester, and I came to New Zealand at three months old. Right. So, it's so I'm pretty much... Doesn't count, but it doesn't does. really count. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It doesn't, just, it doesn't count for memories. Like. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. no. And also when I tell people I'm a Manchester United supporter and they go, well, yes. you know, everybody is. is yeah, and yeah. I go, well, I was born there. Yeah, so yeah. at least I've so got... So it counts for I've that. got legitimate... You've got birthright. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, lived in Wellington for a few years when we arrived. Um, went back to the UK for a year when I was a kid, and then because I think Dad thought, "Oh, let's give it another go." Yeah. He hated it, yeah. and we came back and lived in Auckland. So mm. yeah, Auckland until I moved here. Yeah, and what was the move here for? <coughs> to get out of Auckland. Too. Yeah, I was just over. Yeah. Auckland traffic. Yeah. Um, yeah it hasn't, I wasn't. It really, hasn't improved. Since no, I think it's probably got yeah, worse. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I wasn't. I'd sort of moved away from the music side of things quite a bit. Mm. Um, I was still doing bits and pieces and little bits with Jeremy, but it was hard work, you know, you'd, you know, to get a rehearsal room and then after work, travel across town. Mm -hmm. Everything seemed really hard um, to do that sort of thing. And I, I was just quite keen for a change, yeah. so we moved here. I wasn't really thinking about... Um, and you moved, in the classic way, you moved here and eventually got more involved with music than you did Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'd, I'd Played in more bands. When I first got here, there was no live venues. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and I went and saw um, the Datsons play at a, at a, like a bar in town. It's like a clothes shop now. Mm. And that was about, you know... It. And it was a shitty bar, and mm. it wasn't, uh, and it wasn't um, O'Flaherty's that had already closed. So mm. it was just a, I can't remember what it was called, and um, and it was a local band that I thought was called Billy's Gospel and the Devil's Elbow. It turned out they were two separate bands that I'd <laughs> later yeah. get to know. But yeah. um, but I was thinking, oh, have I made the right move? Because I realised I really do like going and seeing <laughs> live music. 
and there's nothing. And then just at that time, the cabana reopened mm. with uh, those boys, Matt and um, Ian and Morris and Ian mm. Bates, and mm. uh, they all got together and opened it, and I was there all the time. And mm. so I ended up in bands quite quickly. Mm. Mm. They had their own band for a well, start, and I joined that. And how did you start in bands? Were you, like, as a kid, as a when kid? did you get into music? Um, we... Mark and Jim, this year, this, when we were kids, at, you know, at school, you'd think that, you know, the GarageLand thing was something that came much later, and it, it did, but I had been playing music with those guys since I was, like, 12 or 13 or something. Right. So I started in my parents, like a, it's like a Skyline-style garage, but oh, it yeah, hadn't even yeah. been painted yeah, or yeah, anything. Yeah. It was just that galvanised <laughs> Classic, yeah. And, um... It was no soundproofing, just yeah, you know, and it had yeah. a bunch of. And I, I played this. I played a tumble dryer. One, not a tumble dryer. It was one of those ones that you'd hang the clothes in, real old school sixties yeah, yeah. or seventies yeah. thing that was just sitting in the garage. And I'd smack the side of that. And Mark had we'd bought a cheap guitar and an amp off a mate of mine. Um, and, and and was the idea always drums? I think at that point it was just uh, he had got the guitar and learnt two chords mm. and so I went, oh, I'll do drums mm. and Jeremy came on to sing and you know, t to Jeremy's um, great credit he couldn't sing mm. and I remember my parents going, you know, you're singing, he's tone deaf. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's not good. <laughs> and, um, but he carried on, he just yeah. kept going and it didn't take him long before he actually could really sing and he could, um, uh, and then he picked up the guitar and started writing songs quite soon after that. Right. And... And just in a very sort of uncultured, self-learned yeah, kind of Yeah, I think he like, took some lessons yeah. but, uh, but not much and I didn't take any lessons. I don't know if Mark took any lessons, I think he... Um, stayed on the guitar and Debbie, his mm. sister, she played some keyboards but I think really her keyboards were just some single notes and um, we were very very young obviously and um, we formed a little band and we um, we took it quite seriously and we played some gigs and we were probably completely awful but mm. um, but you were into it? We were into it and, and then I think we all went our separate ways a bit after that. I'm just trying to remember how it went. And then we got back together at some point and started... It was probably some Manchester-sounding thing, you know. Mm. We were all into the Stone Roses and things like that. Early 90s, some, yeah. Yeah, it was some awful thing. Yeah. And then, yeah, it was probably late 80s, early 90s. And mm. then, um, I was, then I was flatting with Jeremy and we were in Pakaranga, so we had no connection to the music industry or any mm. scene. Mm. We were living, we were born, we were sort of grew up in Pakaranga, and we um, and we started flatting, you know, in Pakaranga, and we started playing together. He he bought himself a guitar, and I bought myself a cheap drum kit, and um, we did a little bit of jamming, and we we were discovering all sorts of cool things at the time as well we were um you know i remember getting an advanced copy of nirvana's nevermind mm. and we you know i bought it home from work because i was working in a record shop and um we just thrashed it and we were mm. like you know so we'd get all inspired and then we moved into a flat in town uh, when, when i say town it was mount eden 
and then into Sandringham and there was a shed down the back and we lined it with mattresses and that's where we um, started doing the garage land thing properly. And, and the name came from? Yeah, it just came from, it came from the, sec, uh, yeah, from the, the clash. clash, but yeah. it, it um, but it was very much connected to the fact that we were just, yeah. we seemed to be constantly rehearsing this in garages. You, was, this was your life, yeah, yeah. We were yeah. in a Jeremy's parents' garage, we were in my parents' garage, and we were probably in Mark's parents' garage at some point as well. We yeah. were forever in garages. So it had a connection and a pun for you guys. Very but much, But also yeah. it was this, you know, it's a it good, was a good re- song. really good song, band. and, yeah, you know, yeah. um, so that, and I can't remember when that came about, but, but again, we had, we were just, um, we we started doing some rehearsals at a place in Ponsonby, and there was a studio there. Was it there was it band the Fan Club? Mm. They were like a real pop band, and mm. he had a little Sensation. studio in there. Yeah, yeah. and um, he recorded some demos for us, and we would. I think we sent. They became they were enormous in like Malaysia. That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And he was a nice enough guy, and he yeah. recorded all the stuff, and we done real basic recordings when we sent them to BFM and. And one day, probably the third thing we sent up there, they put it on playlist, which we weren't expecting. Mm. No one knew who we were. Um, we hadn't played any gigs, or maybe we'd played one or two. Mm. But we were, and we we had no, we weren't part of any scene. Um, and it went from there. And then we got a bit of, oh, we, we sent a letter to Flying Nun with some demos, and I still have that letter somewhere, Jeremy wrote it, he's very yeah. clever with these, and it was a very funny letter, um, and, you know, he, it was just just literally recordings from the rehearsal room, that's how basic they were, mm. and um, and they were quite keen to do something, so, wow. it sort of was very fortuitous, we, yeah. we didn't know what we were doing, we were, we, well, we knew what we were doing, um, we didn't know the, if there was a correct Way to, to do it. Yeah, yeah. We just sort of thought, oh, we'll give this a go. Yeah. And we got lucky with BFM, and that was Graham Hill, um, who and Marcus Lush, mm. who um, sort of championed the things for whatever reason. And back then, um, a station like BFM, who weren't, um, they weren't on the ratings. You know, they weren't subscribed to it, so no one really knew where they were rating. But mm. in retrospect, they were probably rating a lot higher than people thought. They had some real clout. I don't know that they really knew it, but mm. um, the fact was that when, by the time we came to release Last Exit to Garage Land, it, um, you know, we weren't getting any commercial radio play, mm. none, mm. and um, so it was just mostly BFM and the other student stations around the country who had gone on board. So, you know, and the album sold incredibly well when it came out that first week and it went to number three in the album charts and um, and to be able to do that with zero commercial mm. backing or mainstream backing um, showed how much clout they really had. Yeah, when did you kind of get some sense that, you, I mean, I guess before it was released, but when did you get some sense that you'd made something that was pretty good, you know, like that was... Did yeah. you guys, you know, because you, even people that have claimed to have no ambition and no clues, yeah, when they're making something, they obviously believe in it on some level. You hope it's going to oh, be good, but we, did you, we you very know, much thought that we were doing the best. You were writing great we, songs. We were, yeah, we, yeah. we, we, we were just, we were doing much better than any of the <laughs> yeah, other rubbish that was yeah. out there. All that yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. And so we should be, we should be recognised. We should yeah. be huge. Yeah. 
and you'd go through your. I imagine a lot of musicians go through their entire lives thinking that yes, and never getting right. anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and probably in some cases, maybe they were right, but you just don't yeah. don't get that lucky break. And we mm. got a bit of a lucky break, but we knew, we thought what we were doing was That's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. And um, and it went. You know, I talk about lucky break, but someone recognised it for what it was and thought, "Oh, this is really good." Mm. Even if it's a well, rubbish uh, recording, you know, I'm I'm just thinking about it and how my experience with hearing the music of Garage Land is that it just felt like such a complete package. I'm just thinking about the album title and cover, yeah. the run of singles, you know, the band name. When you look at it now, mm. it it almost seems like the marketing department and the lab and the, the, the this band was built in a lab and the marketing department well, put it all together but that probably no, we wasn't the it, case we at did all. It all ourselves <laughs> yeah i mean but you know what i mean it almost yeah. looks like this perfect kind of like i feel like you could introduce that to you know a younger generation and they'd be like well this is very cynical and clever how this is all put together but it didn't feel like that at the time no at all it was entirely our own doing because literally we did the comeback special ep first yeah 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 my little brother who has no interest in music i got he he just was quite good with computers so he made Mm. the cover that i mocked up (laughs) out of cutting things out yeah and same with the album cover and all of that stuff well, I mean, I remember was, hearing the comeback special EP and thinking, you know, so there was anticipation for the album. Like, I can a friend mm-hmm. of mine introduced me to the the band as would happen at the time. Like, I was finishing, I was in like maybe finishing final year of high school, probably, yeah. and um, and I I just remember we felt like we'd found our music. Like, this was, you know. Yeah, it's stuff stuff for us, you know. We didn't yeah. we didn't have to check with our parents. We didn't have to introduce them to it. They weren't going to get it, but they weren't going to hate it. It was just yeah. fine, and it was the we music were, we had our drinks to. And we were the acceptable face of old, yeah. of indie. I suppose we were obviously very heavily influenced by the Pixies. Yeah, that came out pretty quickly, didn't Haven. it? People spotted yeah. that stuff, and, it, you, and you we, guys were, did, we were right. You didn't hide from it. That's right. No, and also I think it was a real blessing because um, when it came to recording, you know, we were working with an engineer who was very good, but the, the what you were doing at the time, you were trying, you know, everyone's using all the technology yeah. they've got, yeah. and when it came to drums, I was just like. Um, you know, there was gated reverbs and all this stuff, mm. and, and I was like, uh, "Let's not, let's not do that." Um, I just want the drums really natural mm. sounding because I mm. don't, you know, I can't. I, I think at the time I thought that it was already starting to date badly some of the drum sounds that were being used in studios, yeah. and I thought, and also that's how Pavement Pixies like their the albums yeah. weren't dating. Yeah, yeah. And I thought uh, if we go down this road it'll sound awful mm. so and even those and we were very jeremy and i were very heavily involved in the production of it even though we knew absolutely nothing about what we were doing <laughs> yeah, I, yeah and i yeah. still don't um when it comes to in a studio i don't know yeah um, you know technically to, but oh yeah i had to come up with input lists for the <laughs> tech ride the other day and i had to google what the hell that was you know um <laughs> and um but we were we were in there for every with an engineer mm. for every second of those recordings, mixing, mastering. We were mm. absolutely um, on it. Mm. So we were sort of. We, I don't think either of us were our control freaks, and I don't think we were then. But we were just we had a we had an idea of what it was going to sound like. Yeah, we well, wanted to own and, your um, product. Your, yeah, and your we didn't want it thing. to be too slick. Yeah, and and I think that it. It, 
now today, because I've had to re-listen to it to learn all the songs, yeah. and I think it hasn't dated badly. No, really. I agree. I think it's 25 know. years old, but yeah. Yeah, you could probably put it out tomorrow, and it wouldn't sound. I think so. Um, technically, you know, production-wise, out of place. Um, some, I guess, some of the sound is maybe yeah. of the 90s, but it's sort of okay. No, it's an album that I still, you know, go back. You know, I, when it was released on re reissued on vinyl a couple of years ago, yeah. I bought that, and um, and you know, I just sort of, it's a thing I just sort of chuck on every now and then. But it's 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 a nostalgic yeah. piece for me. But the music stands up. Like, you know, I want to hear it when I hear it. Yeah. I, I obviously immediately think back to to all of the introduction points for me like my first uh shitty covers band played our first gig and in a bar in havelock north and we took a break after playing just about all the songs we knew and one of our friends asked if he could get up and he got up and played um a solo guitar version of struck oh, okay. and you know that felt like it was just in club music, just a few of us knew it. Right, yeah, you know? yeah. This is yeah, before this is before last exit. This is yeah, just, when just when the EP did. was out, and we're just sitting there going, you know, one of our friends knows this, and he's shown this to us, and he's gone and learnt this, and we felt like we had our own little club. And so, obviously, when I listen to the album now, those sorts of memories come back. Mm. But I still like the songs, you know, and I think yeah, the well, that's. I mean, it, it works in that. Yeah. In that way, and it, I don't think it was ever trying to be anything more than it is. No, it's, and we weren't trying to be. Um, we weren't trying to be cool. Yeah. I, I don't think we were. <laughs> yeah. We didn't know anybody. And I think we had this sort of, I think we were lucky in some ways, um, unintentionally, that people didn't know we were even from New Zealand because mm. we just hardly mm. played. We weren't part of any scene. Uh, I suppose when we joined Flying Nun, there was a few question marks from people and it always felt a bit weird going to Dunedin because people yeah, got sideways yeah. at you. Yeah. Um, but having said that, I, then I think we always felt like there was maybe we had an inferiority complex in that, or, or at least people that didn't even mm, fly none, mm. people would look at us <coughs> oddly. And I think there was a few things said and that um, made us feel a bit, mm, we shouldn't go there. But having said that, um, I um, remember meeting Shane Carter and going to a movie with him. Mm. He seemed nice enough. I've not really had much to do with him since then. Um, and in New York, later on, um, Hamish Kilgore turned up to a gig and was really friendly. So it was all—it was mm. just quite nice that mm, they mm. made an effort. To, yeah. Particularly in Hamish Kilgore, I didn't know him. I was felt a bit starstruck by you know the clean and that. We often yeah yeah. Uh, there was a lot of people thought we shouldn't be on Flying Nun. They're from right. Auckland for a start. And yeah yeah. The reality was though that um, Flying Nun needed some, needed yeah, some they record were, sales. They needed to, they needed to happen sell some, again, yeah, yeah. <coughs> they needed to sell some records and we were um, And bands like yourself and Superette were yeah. part of that whole rebirth yeah. of it. They had the headless chickens yep. as well yep. and um, that did really well mm. um, for them. And the chills had yeah, done quite well. So they were yeah, yeah. they were doing all right, but it, they knew that this was the direction they needed to. You know, mm. It was a new way. They needed to. They needed to keep yeah. you know, bands that people actually were yeah. wanting to buy. The so music. you talked about being in New York. I mean, how do you go from a packeringer garage yeah. to? <laughs> yeah, well, um, I think we you know we got sort of all ambitious. Mm. The first thing that happened was. Um, Last exit came out, I think 
influence that. Well, maybe it was actually the comeback special. We did a tour of um, Australia in the back of a van with King Loser and Love's Ugly Children, and we'd never been on tour before. We'd literally played a handful of shows in <laughs> right. New Zealand. We yeah. hadn't even properly toured New Zealand. Yeah. And we were so green at it, and they were so rock and roll. Yeah, I was going to say, you would have been a little bit twee compared to those two. Yeah, they, and I think they, and you know, they were all they were all taking loads of drugs. Yeah, and yeah. All this that's what I mean, just lifestyle-wise we as well as music. We right? were, like, definitely not there. But having said that, um, uh, Jeremy isn't one to um, sort of sit back and <laughs> yeah, take any of their shit. And I do remember he, he um, in an interview with Celia Mancini on a uh, Australian radio station, he, I can't remember what it was she said, and he just like, just pulled her up on it and just said, what a load of shit or something. And it <laughs> caused a huge, you know, they were all, you know, wow. we, we had to yeah. travel in separate yeah, vans. Yeah, yeah. And, um, I. I it was an incident, um, but anyway, we did that, and anyway, then the album came out later on. We obviously did a bit more touring, and then we got asked by, we got invited to play in Paris at the Les Inrocutibles magazine, who are like the the enemy of France, I suppose, and they do this big festival in Paris on multi-venue mm. over the course of a week, and they invited us to play at the last night showcase event which at the Olympia Theatre and we're like well we kind of got to go and do that <laughs> don't we um it was with Tricky, Mazzy Star, Naina Cherry and Sparkle Horse and amazing. us amazing. and we're like oh, that's God. like some dream meltdown it festival was, line up then or now yeah like, and most we went, of that isn't it <laughs> oh yeah we better go and do that um <laughs> so we did well we when we got a few shows in London as well and we Flew over there, did a few London shows, did this show at the Olympia Theatre, which was um, fantastic. I mean, the, the French audience compared to, say, a New Zealand audience or a British audience, mm. where you know they were so, um, you know, they'd be so quiet before mm. we played. And uh, it was a theatre, so it was kind of sit down, and we would fumble our way through the songs. We were so nervous, and <laughs> I played everything about twice the speed it should be, mm. and because uh, there is a recording of it somewhere, and it's mm. like. Oh, how'd you play it that fast? And um, but the audience were very enthusiastic. You'd finish the song and they'd just be, they would erupt, mm. and then they were ready for the next song. Yeah. And um, so it was quite a cool experience. And uh, I, I've never been one to meet my heroes, or at least um, even yeah. talk to any other um, people that I think might be rock stars or whatever. But um, Mark Linkhouse from Sparkle Horse was there, and they. He was at the bottom of the stairs because at this point he was on a, he was just out of a wheelchair and he was on a walking stick, and they put his dressing room up mm. on the top floor, and he was just hanging around the bottom. So we said, "I'll come to our dressing room, which was on the ground floor," and um, and he was just a really nice guy. Always uh, loved yeah. that album, but that's yeah. a, like one of the few times I've met someone that I felt nervous about meeting, and I, I, normally I would just avoid it. I'm right. just like I'm just. I won't um, meet them. Well, what about, John, what about John Cale? Well, yeah, well, that, we, I kind of had to. <laughs> yeah, and, and, I, went I, off and I feel like that's got to be one of the more daunting names and people to throw oh, into that sort of environment. Yeah, lucky I didn't know too much about <laughs> right. um, 
you didn't hold him in yeah, I knew, enormous well, I did hold him in I, yeah she, we, we were big Velvet Underground yeah. fans it was another big yeah. I didn't know anything about him as a person oh right yeah 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 yeah. and yes because it's such early days of the internet or you know pre, yeah, yeah so yeah, I just that, uh, I didn't really had, I didn't know any reputation about yeah, him I still really don't know that yeah. much but I, I, but I did learn a little bit about it during the <laughs> during the actual contact time <laughs> yeah well it was um, it was the record company Mushroom Records and London said, why don't we, this song, we, we'd gone for it, it had a sort of a vaguely Velvet Underground sort of feel going on, I suppose, and mm. they said, oh, why don't we see if we could get John Cale to mix it? And we are like, well, you can, yeah, you can, can ask, that. I suppose. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, he came back and said, yeah, no, he'd be keen. And we are like, oh. And we were in New York to do some shows, and um, it was hooked up for us to meet him and for breakfast at some cafe and he turned up in like gym gear, like day glow gym gear. And we were like hung over from the night before and we were like, and he, he just, we ordered huge big cooked breakfasts yeah. and he like had a, some sort of yeah. smoothie, I think. Yeah. And uh, he goes, oh, I really like the song and um, thought I might play a bit of um, piano on it if that's okay. And we're like, you could do whatever you like. Yeah. And um, so, it was a very short meeting. He finished his smoothie and then jogged off. <coughs> and um, then we got the finished product back and he did play piano on it. And I thought it was fantastic what he mm. did because it was, um, you know, it wasn't overproduced. There was, mm. um, and the piano part that was lovely. And, um, and I thought, well, I should really call him and say, Thank you. Thank you. But I really, really didn't want to. Yeah. I was so nervous about having to do that. But it was thrust upon me to do it. As the, I don't know if I was the responsible one. <laughs> and I was given his number, his personal phone number, and I rang him and I said, oh, is that John? And he just like barked and said, who is this? How did you get this number? Wow. And I'm like, oh, oh it's um, <laughs> Andrew Gladstone from the garage. you did um, some mixing and he, he softened and yeah. he goes, oh no, that's right, oh, I love that song, great yeah. song, great song. And I said, oh, I just, we just wanted to say what a fantastic job. And he's going, oh no problem at all, great song, great song. And then phoned down, that was the end of it. I, mean, I think he got paid pretty handsomely yeah, for the record I'm company sure. to do it, but um, I think he genuinely thought it was a good song. Oh, well, that's pretty cool. Because um, I'd be thinking, I was, you know, when you're telling this, I was, I was thinking, you know, I've, I've always loved the Velvet Underground and John Cale's solo uh, career. But I'd be thinking, Jesus Christ, John Cale's, um, uh, his legacy as a producer, yeah. you know, the contributions he's made to important records, you know, yeah. producing the Stooges, the Modern Lovers, Patti Smith, that would be weighing on me if I, if I were to have oh, been in your, that would be the thing above anything else. Yeah, don't worry know? about it. I was, <laughs> I was bricking it yeah, the whole time. Yeah. I mean, I'm glad, it was one of the few times that we, when, when we'd sort of relocated to, London, there was a couple of remixes that were done yeah. and you, that you wouldn't be present for. Yeah. And yeah. I, don't, we, I don't think we relished the idea of that control, mm. losing that sort of control. But, but it was kind of normal that you'd mm. just give it to these people. And there was, um, there was a Nude Star remix where we re recorded Nude Star and it was given to this guy, Alan Mulder, who'd done, I don't know, was it Smashing Pumpkins mm -hmm. and some of those. Um, yeah, you know, he was a big time mm. guy, and, and he was paid handsomely to mix it. And I remember I was listening to it first time. It's oh, mm. horrible. I mean, it still got released, um, but 
but we weren't we didn't like it. Yeah. Um, and I think it got rightly criticised in some quarters, being sort of. I think someone wrote a blurb for it at the record company and said um, uh, cathedral-like or something, and it got absolutely slammed in, a, in an enemy review or something. Once the, uh, the press release comes with you know cathedral sound yes. and everything, you're like, and you'll be like, oh. <laughs> and I remember there was a couple of things in that press release that they ridiculed. I remember we were quite upset about it because we, we would mm. never have allowed those things in the press release. Mm-hmm. And um, whoever wrote the press release, um, I think we gave them a very hard time. Yeah, like, yeah. What were you thinking? Yeah, yeah. And it was just full of cliches and it was horrible. Um, but yeah, and we did some other. But then there was a guy in the US did remixed Finger Pops and Beelines to Heaven for American radio. And he was also a big time radio mixer guy. And, you know, he had an amazing CV. And uh, and they were really good because mm. they were just really tightened up. They didn't we were, we didn't re-record them. They just he just tightened up the recordings, and I, I think they've been they've been released on some issue reissues of the album in the mm. past or something. But they're not on the mm. the last reissue. Um, but they're quite good. They're a bit more punchy for yeah. radio and stuff yeah, like yeah. that. But yeah, we didn't relish the idea of letting other people yeah. touch it without us being there. And was there, was there, I mean, it sounds like it was a pretty open shut thing with John Cale, but was there a discussion around like, you know, how do we, how do we continue this? How do we milk this for like, you know? Um, well, there was, um, Mushroom said, well, we can get him to produce your next album. And I thought, oh, that'd be great. Cause mm. I thought that what he'd done was really good. Uh, Jeremy was less keen for some reason, and I mean, he was like the biggest fan, but he yeah. was, I think he felt he just still wanted to do it um, himself. Himself. Yeah, yeah. And I think he sort of, and it was going to cost a lot of money. Mm, but, mm. you know, back then, you know, the record company just advanced you the money and it just went against you. It just went against you on your got, tab. You just got told what was happening yeah. after it happened. And, yeah. Um, but, uh, so we, I mean, we never made that album in the UK in the end because things started to get harder and um, and we ended up moving back to New Zealand. I think we just had enough after a couple of years. We were so we missed a sort of a, a little bit of a step there. So basically, Last Exit comes out and you, you um, the, the songs start to appear, you know, Pinger Pops, Beelines in particular. Yeah. Um, there are videos made, that, you know, there's music TV happening where the videos get played, Juice, MTV, yeah. that sort of stuff is happening. <coughs> and you do the circuit, you know, like this. Um, I feel like I saw Garage Man with Superette and Belter Space one time. Oh, yeah, we did Belter Space. Uh, yeah, a, um, University Orientation. orientation. Yeah. yeah, so there were these kind of cool shows like that that I, yeah, that was a good, you know, there were good lineups like that, and you do all of that sort of stuff, and then that momentum takes you overseas. Yeah, basically, we got what happened was um, Mushroom Publishing came along. You know, mm. you know, they they the record company owned Flying Nun, <coughs> and they said, "Oh, well, we're um, we want to sign your publishing," and we were like, "Do we want to?" and um, we went to see Malcolm Black, who was our lawyer at the time, and he said, oh, he goes, 
you really don't want to sign your publishing away, but he goes, I'll be honest with you, reading this contract, you don't have a lot of choice. They're going to nobble your record if you don't sign it. And all they were offering was a $30,000 advance, but we had to use that to relocate to London. So we wanted to do that, mm. um, but we felt like we were being pushed into pushed it. Pushed into it, yeah. We had some money, but we had to go and move So we did. We yeah. moved to London and... That money paid for our rent um, and our living expenses <coughs> and the record company put in some more tour support and all that sort of stuff. So back then there was a bit of money floating around mm, so you mm. you know you you could go on a tour because the tours back you know and when you mm. went to England you might get 50 pounds for every show that you did just mm. a flat fee mm. playing support for someone and you'd tour all these little venues all over the country and it would cost you like Fifteen thousand pounds in expenses just to do it, mm. and you'd get like fifty quid a show. Um, but that was, you know, it was just to get you out there. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. You know, there was marketing departments and PR departments, yeah. and they're all yeah, yeah. pushing it along. And yeah, we had a good couple of years, and we did some really cool tours. But in the meantime, things would have been better for us in France, to be honest. We had an audience there. We go to, we went to, did a tour with a band called Deus. Who were from oh, Belgium. Yeah, I remember them. And, um, and it was a fantastic tour. I was thinking about that band just the other day, for the first time. There was in years. A really, two really good albums. A couple of good songs, yeah, yeah, a couple of good albums, yeah. And um, they were really good, and they had a real following in mm. France, and they asked us to come on the tour. And we didn't have a lot of money um, to do it because. Um, Mushroom weren't that keen on mm. us going anyway. They certainly weren't going to give us any tour support. So we took our own van, which is an old transit van, and Campbell Smith was our manager. He drove, and we couldn't afford the tolls for the um, auto routes, so mm. we had to take the little roads through the countryside. Yeah. It was really good fun. I really enjoyed it. Um, and I think it was probably one of Campbell's favourite mm. tours because it was pretty shoestring. Mm. Um, but we had these pretty decent sized audiences wherever we went and they were really into it. And then at the end of that tour we did a show with Placebo in Paris to a sold out wow. show and yeah. we um, did that as well. So we were getting really good exposure in yeah. France and we were getting great reviews, we were on live TV shows, we were, but they were just a distributor for Mushroom over there and um, Mushroom wanted um, if they were going to have us over there paying for our rent, they wanted us in England. <coughs> so we had to stay there uh, and America because we signed another deal there. And so we'd go over there. So between we were between the UK and the US and we really only got to do little bits of Europe because they wanted all of the, our time to be spent in UK mm. and the US. And, um, yeah, always good money. The US is quite different to the UK, and um, but dealing with the UK press was really challenging, mm. um, and and it was hard to get. In what way, savage? They're savage. Well, yeah. you know, it, yeah, I think people band, here have no real idea, do they? No, unless, they were, unless they've done what you've done and experienced yeah. it. They jack you up. Yeah. Or, yeah, you know, yeah. 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 It, yeah. Yeah. The best case scenario is they'll hype you up. Yeah. And they might keep you there for a little while, but they'll definitely bring you down yeah, again. Yeah. 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 Um, but or you might just get a middling, you know. Yes. So we got some good reviews. Yeah. And then, uh, uh, 
but then you get a couple of real bad ones. It's but real. generally, I think we we had more good reviews than we had bad reviews. So you came out okay, kind we of. Go, but, we went, but there's real poison in the pen there, and I, don't, I think I think here, you know, and I'll be careful how I say this because I'm not trying to say it with a vested interest of trying to defend myself, but I do think people in New Zealand have no idea how, unless they've experienced it, how oh. brutal. I think if you grew up reading the NME, that's it. you'd that's know. It. You should know, that's right. Because, yeah, there'll be bands. That's right. You can go back through history and look at them and you go, oh, I remember them yeah, yeah, for yeah. that brief period yeah. where they were the absolute yes. indie stars yep. and they would be lauded by the press yep. and within six months they Torn would be down. absolutely yep. just yep. tear them to shreds. Yeah. And it's really savage, really savage. Yeah. Really unpleasant, a lot of it. And because some of it, because it, in music, you would know, I think, um, from writing music journalism, it's actually kind of, it's quite easy to do the takedown because yes. it's quite fun, I yeah, think. Of I think they, you know, because you, you can be really smart. So yeah. It's probably, yeah. it's harder to write the really glowing one or the middling one, I definitely, suppose. But definitely. The, the takedown is, is the easiest is, thing. Is, yeah. is um, easy. Yeah, and they, yeah, because you're, and they you're, really writing it, you're writing it with. Um, a surge of adrenaline as you're writing yeah, it, yeah, you know, yeah, it's like, fueling you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I'd imagine you can tell reading a lot of them. They, yeah. they sometimes they were very funny. Yeah, and you yeah. could tell that they were how writing pleased them they, they were, yeah, they were when, as they were doing. Real it. smile yeah. on their face yeah. while they were pinning yeah. it, and you're like, totally. oh. Yeah. But, um, but it was, you know, it could be really, um, Savage. it yeah. could be really hard for um, yeah. artists over there, and you could think you're going on to great things, and then suddenly you're definitely no. not. <laughs> Um, and then you go to the US and it's really different again, mm. but it's so big that you think, oh, we might get a foothold somewhere. You think, oh, you know, the idea is like, you think, oh, if we can just get 0.5% of the population to like us, mm. we'll have a career. But yeah, it's really not that easy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we did, all, we did pretty well on college radio, so we did um, get on a bit of a circuit playing universities and mm. stuff, and we had some really good shows, just depended where... You went, you might have um, some real um, real support or a station, that's one of the college stations really pushed you really hard. Any more heroes to avoid meeting or to, no, or to bump up against reluctantly? Not, no, not really heroes. We, we toured with some bands that were definitely not heroes. Was that... Um, uh, we did some. I think we did some Tanya Donnelly shows, but I don't think she really liked us. Yeah. Um, and I didn't really care. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Um, but there was that band Space Hog. Oh yeah, yeah. They had the biggest radio. The previous year, they'd had the biggest radio song in America, mm. and they were like so rock and roll. They had this big bus, mm. and we had a van with a U-Haul trailer, and we were <laughs> following them around. That and little kid brother. They were from Leeds. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and they were just, and they would. Not a very good band. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. They were a bit. They were just coked up all the time, yeah. and they were kind of dickheads. Really. Yeah, cartoon. I remember we took a football with us, and so when we pull over in a parking lot somewhere, kick a football, and they pulled up, and then once, and, and they go, "Oh, we'll play with you guys." And one of them kicked the ball over a fence into some locked compound, like, and then went, "Oh, okay." And they never bought us another ball or anything. We were like, <laughs> "Fuck you." <laughs> It's a, a great, that's a great sort of metaphor. Yeah, for, it is. Yeah, it? It just felt like the, <laughs> like the real poor kids, yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah. And then they just went. Oh. <laughs> it's like a little comic strip. Yeah, you know. And I think one of them was going out with Kate Moss, so oh, yeah. she made an appearance. I don't think I don't know if I ever saw her. She was on the bus a bit, mm. but 
Um, but they were pretty terrible. I mean, they had, the drummer had this massive drum kit, so I couldn't share his drum kit because it was yeah. like, it yeah. was enormous. It had a gong oh, God. behind yeah, it and everything. Yeah. But remember going back to the um, university towns, the biggest one, at the time at least, um, was Atlanta. Um, the university college radio station there was the biggest in the country. And we'd done really well. We didn't kind of realise we'd done quite as well, but they'd mm. got us in to do a an acoustic session that mm. we did with them and um, and then when we played the show and, and Space Hog were definitely on that because they just released the second album mm. and it wasn't you know mm. radio were like yeah not so keen yeah we're done with you um, <laughs> so the venue probably held about I don't know maybe eight nine hundred or something and it was full and um, and I had to set up on the front of the stage, like literally on the lip of the stage, the poor bastard standing in front of me <laughs> in the crowd literally had his face in my bass drum. That's how much room we had to play with. But it turned out like three quarters of the crowd had come to see us mm. and they were not, Space Hog were not happy about it. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and they, half the crowd left when they played and that was a real God. turning yeah, point. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you kicked our ball away yeah. and you know, we're, yeah, look, we're sending your crowd away. <laughs> I think it went back to normal after that, but yeah. it was just that one show. It was quite nice. So yeah, you, yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a career of um, the Garage Land career. Is it's got some nice moments and it's got some a lot of shitty ones as well. Never really quite took off. Yeah. Um, but we had, we had some fun doing so you, it. You came back to New Zealand to make album number two. Yeah. So what happened there was. Things started to go not so well at Mushroom, and they were putting all the eggs, eggs into um, garbage. Peter Andre mm. and that band Ash, and who I always thought was awful. As in, like the the first time I went to a, I'm actually it was a double bill of garbage and Ash, and I went and I always thought when I saw them that was the first time I'd watched an international band not play well. Ash, right. I thought they were terrible. Right, I did Might see have them. been an off night. I only saw them the once. Yeah, we, I just we, remember thinking like the drummer cocked things up, you know, flummoxed fills. Right, um, yeah. dropped, I mean, people drop sticks, but, you know, actually like was coming in late after yeah. fills and stuff. See, maybe I, had a bad sound If mix. I'd seen that, I'd been feeling quite good about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, maybe had a I'd bad... Because I'd be going, oh, it's good. Yeah. I'm not the only That's right. drummer that... Maybe it, maybe it was just a very bad mix. I did only see them the once, and it was the launch of their second album, which I don't think did that well. Mm. Um, but I remember they we, were a hyped band. And then they were I, very much And then there. when I saw them, I just I was never really for or against them, but I knew about them. Yeah. And then I just remember thinking, wow, like that was such a substandard international act. Right. Yeah, I just have a memory of that. Well, I've I, seen heaps I, of terrible I, bands, but you know. Well, and I know that we yeah. had some very substandard nights ourselves. Sure. Yeah. Plenty of them. Yeah. And I did see them play once, and their launch, they they put a lot into it. There was, you know, this VIP area mm. that we were put in because we were on the same label, mm. and the Spice Girls were there, <laughs> and um, Noel Gallagher was there, and I was I ended up sitting next to one of the. I couldn't tell you which one it was. I didn't know who they. I didn't. I wouldn't have recognised the Spice Girls. I was just told afterwards you were sitting next to oh. I don't know, Ginger Spice. Well, they're about to do a 25th anniversary thing too. So if you'd oh, made, we the, have done, you'd yeah. made the intro at the time, yeah. like we could have been. <laughs> you could have actually up set something it. up. Yeah. Imagine that. That'd be a weird tour. <laughs> but yeah, so that I thought. So we 
um, in the end did a deal, Michael Gudinski came to um, to Campbell Smith, our manager, and said, look, um, I'm prepared to just rip up the deal, and by this point we must have been in debt by mm. a million bucks or something, mm-hmm. I don't know, I, I'm not sure, And um, but he was prepared to write it off, and we'd go our own way, and Neil Finn came in and said that he would fund a recording of the second album. Why? I just think he really... I wanted to give you a chance. He just liked, liked the idea of it, I yeah. think. And it, it, there was a profit share of the yeah, album yeah, sold. Yeah. And I don't think... Oh, was he trying to get his studio yeah, well, this was, up and running too? Probably. It was in his house at the yeah. time. It was in his yeah. basement of his house in Parnell. Mm. Oh, it was yeah. lovely. Yeah. And it was really good. And Stereo Bus were also recorded. Oh, I'm not saying this with any cynicism. I'm just curious. You know, I'm, yeah, I'm no. thinking that's amazing. I'm just curious. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I just think he was... Yeah, really, Stereo Bus, another good band. Yeah, I just think he it. thought, oh... I would like to. I, know, I assume that there was some negotiation fact, went on behind the scenes. Yeah, about know about and we for just. Sure. Um, in fact, Dave Yetton had told me how generous Neil had always been towards him and yeah. his projects, you know, and he'd felt really amazed by his generosity. Yeah, because well, yeah. he, he would occasionally. Uh, he came in to see me at the, when I was working in the record shop once mm. in the early days, mm. and I was like starstruck because again, I'm yeah. like, I don't want to. Yeah, yeah. How I feel, and it was him and Arthur Basting came in to have a chat, and it was like Christmas, and yeah. it was um, in the shop. It was so busy, yeah. and everybody's like, "Oh, it's Neil Finn," Staring, and everyone's looking, yeah. and why is he talking to him? And I've been going yeah. going red. Yeah. Yeah. and being really embarrassed I just didn't really like the attention and, yeah. uh, but he was always a really nice guy and he said you know come and record at my house Wow! and he provided, he funded it and provided yeah. an engineer and made as much time as we wanted and it didn't make any money it certainly wouldn't have made him any money yeah. it didn't make us any um, but it was we, we probably the second album probably moved a bit too far away from what we'd been doing I still like it. What's that one called? That's Do what you want. Yeah, that's right. It's got. It's yeah, got some good songs. It's got like some that. good ones, yeah. and then it's got some like. Oh, it, it definitely we cha- would, changes mood. Like it has a different yeah, no, tone. Steadily as we went on, you, know, you got no money, and you think mm. we've just got to get a hit. Yeah, well, I was going to say there's a weariness to that record, isn't there? Yeah, you start actually, trying to manufacture hits, and not so bad on that one because I think it's got some really good moments, and mm. we had a lot of material. Because we'd been, it'd been a long time between albums, mm. and so there's a lot that didn't get used. Mm. And there was probably some better songs that could have gone on the album, but just for the the overall feel and pace of the album, mm. um, it would have been too slow to have included some of the other songs. But um, I still like the album. There's a couple yeah. of tracks that you think oh, yeah. shouldn't have been on there, um, yeah. but it's pretty good. Um, but and we'd been away from New Zealand for a while. And so you, you think you're going to come yourself. back and people are going to give yeah. you here as welcome, but they really have forgotten they've about forgotten you. They've forgotten you, yeah. Um, so you're reintroducing yourself, basically, with yeah, some so sort of shows again with an album that the public doesn't um, yeah. take to heart quite like they did with the first yeah. one. It did okay, yeah. but it didn't do... There was the... I think what the... What was it, the third album? Because the third album, yeah. Scorpio, I, by yeah, the, Scorpio, Scorpio writing. writing. By the third album, I was... Had a full time job and I was had to go to the studio, which was in um, Kerry Kerry Beach, yeah. which is a, quite a drive to yeah. get there after work. Worked there till midnight. Jeremy um, and was this Neil's got, studio again? Um, it was actually Malcolm Wellsford's place. It was where the credit house recorded. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Malcolm Wellsford. Was but I mean, yeah, there. that connection. Yeah. And uh, Jeremy and 
Dave, I think Dave Goodison was playing guitar at that time, and they were out there all day. So by the time we get out there, they'd be like cooking a meal, yeah, smoking too much weed. Yeah, I was just gonna say just, you're in these you know, you're in these two levels. You've done your job. They're just smoking. And I literally turn up in a yeah. shirt and tie. Yeah. And from my job, and just want to get on with it because I just want to go home and go to bed. And Malcolm, I, I remember we did the drums in. I think we did the drums somewhere else, some big studio somewhere. Oh, I might mm. have been York Street. We did the drums, but um, and I'd go in there to do some little extra bits, vocals, mm. Mm. things like that. But I could tell straight away that you know Malcolm Wellsford was this big name for getting radio hits and everything. But man, he just he took my drum tracks, which are, you know, which are always patchy when it comes to um, tempos, um, and just this was when you know things had gone to computer, mm, and mm. it was just it just turned me into a robot, mm. like, uh, and replaced all the sounds with other sounds, and um, and everything was just so clean. And yeah, my memory is that the third record. Um, sounds the, the second record might sound a little bit weary and a little bit patchy but the third record sounds like a different band yeah it's like feel wise it's some gone. people really like yeah, it yeah, but I, know, I don't yeah it wasn't for me but it's been a long time since i've heard it and, yeah. and and i'm sure there's something on there now that i'd go actually you know what with the passage of time i'm i'm ready for that but it just felt like a different band it's well, well, and what go, you're describing is uh, yeah. all of those elements well if you go back band. to talking about production on the first yeah. one this is exactly what I feared could potentially yes. happen if we didn't take yes. control of it. Yeah. By the third album, we had, there's some good songs on there that yeah. are uh, hampered horribly by Yeah, you're becoming a th- part production. player in your own story. Yeah, and the yeah. production is way too clean, way yeah. too um, considered, and I didn't, um, I never liked it. Mm. Now the job thing, was that um, always a plan for you or just a necessity? No, from... I just got back and I, um, I just thought, no, need some money basically yeah, yeah. and um, I wrote to uh, Turner's Auctions because I, I used to go in there and buy other people cars because yeah, yeah. I was the car guy and um, so I wrote to them and said I should be working for you guys I keep going people keep saying can you help me buy a car so back then that's all you need to do I think yeah, and yeah, I went, yeah. yeah. Um, they hired me and so I was there for quite a few years but I was still doing and I remember um I was working for them, I was doing their album, and then South by Southwest, we were invited to go to that. Mm. And so um, Jeremy and Dave, I think, were just going to do it, just the two of them, as a stripped-down thing. And then they put us on the cover of the program, and it was like, well, we've got to send the whole band over there. Yeah. So I had to go to you know, boss, and I hadn't been working there very long, and uh, I said, look, I can fly into Austin and on Thursday and I'll be back I'll be back to work by Monday morning that was the plan so I flew over there and did the gig so we just did one gig it was the bigger mm. of, there was a couple of gigs there but and Jeremy and Dave were doing a tour um, promoting the album and uh, I went and uh, flew and then I got on the plane to come home and we got about three hours into the flight and had to turn it back for some fault and we had to stay the night and then I was, and back then there was no cell phone, no, you, you, you were given a phone, you had yeah, a phone yeah. card that they would give you yeah. and it had like 10 bucks on it yeah. and you know, we had no money and it's like, and so I'd call Lynn's my partner and say, uh, we're going to be delayed um, 
at least 24 hours and I ran work but I I still got there mm. I got there a day late and I went into work at nine o'clock and I, I'd just like flown in that yeah, morning yeah and, I, and they just sent me home <laughs> I was just absolutely shattered yeah, yeah. and then there was tours and I uh, so um I let another drummer fill and I, I guess I'd by this point, I was. You were starting to. I was kind of over yourself. it. Yeah, yeah. You were starting um, to check I'd out. I do the odd show, but I wasn't really into it. Yeah. And I think you know, and Jeremy was like thinking we're, that we're, I've got to get a hit. We're going to mm. get hit singles. Where's and, B Beeline's um, part two? Where's, yeah, where's no, the I was next like, finger pops? Uh, um, I, and I think there are some good songs on that album, but they're just ruined by the yeah. production. That's yeah. my personal feeling. I don't know. I think Jeremy probably agrees with me on that now, I'm not sure. Never really talked about it, but or maybe we have. But um there's a couple of people that come out of the woodwork who just think that's, that's the best favorite. album. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, oh really? Okay. Um That's what the internet has done for us. It, yeah. it has made um people find their find their people and find their groove. You find people will like the third or fourth sequel in a pretty mundane yeah. <laughs> you know horror franchise yeah. and there'll be a club of people that are all rooting for Friday the 13th part 3 yeah. and, <laughs> and the, accepted, the accepted wisdom is no no yeah, no. no and, no, yeah. and I, I think that's wonderful by the way I think yeah, that's really cool because that that what were these people doing before that how were they allowed to exist but now they get to find their tribe yeah. I think it's great and I, I, I can see why because it's I guess what I hate about the production of it, someone else might mm, go. Um, yeah, that's what well, I can like. stand the scrappy yes. nature of the first that's album, right. and the, the middle album was somewhere in between the two, I suppose. Mm. Um, but yeah, so that's fine. But um, we but won't, we I think we'll be playing one song <laughs> off that album, and right. that's. I mean, Mark's quite keen to do it, and actually we rehearsed it here. It sounded right, and it was like. <laughs> Sounded quite good. But it's funny that looking through the discography and going, you can see the um, diminishing returns of the band, just in terms of the, <coughs> the impact on the band from hype, experience overseas, you know, yeah. international influence, get back to roots, try new things, then people in the band drifting off and away and into other focuses yeah. in life, but wanting to stick... You know, it actually... You can logically see, oh, this was how this band's, yeah, um, you know, decade roughly, yeah, uh, unfolded, and it makes it tells a story. It does, and it's also it's it might be hard to sort of see from the outside sometimes because it might seem like you've it's a great mm. you've had great luck, but you've also done some you know you've legitimately done some good things you, you know. Um, and it is a nice to have a little bit of a legacy, but really, mm. it's hard work, you know. Mm, um, mm. And yeah, yeah, for little reward, for very nothing. little reward. I mean, the yeah. pay is awful. Yes. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's but you do it because you love it. But That's when you right. start stopping and you know, loving it so much, um, yeah. you can't wait to go and get a normal job. So you got a normal job ahead yeah. of ahead of the pack and carried on in the band for a bit, and yeah. then what happens? Just just basically uh, relationships in the band um, strained to breaking point. They, they were okay, I think, but no, I don't think they were ever a breaking point. Um, I don't think that they were even strained. I just think it just petered out. It just petered out because it became yeah. untenable. It was like yeah, it was we're just, not we're not getting yeah. the hit that at least some of us desire and we had faith a, is doing there was a few shitty experiences in there that weren't anything to do with band relationships it was more Record we company. were starting to work with uh, you know court um, yeah. 
commercial radio. Yeah. I remember we got talked into doing some gig at, oh, it was like at a rugby stadium. It was like a festival, not a festival, it was like a day-long concert. With, I think it was Zed and there was probably some other bands that were all quite big at the time. Mm. And I forget the station now, is it The Edge or The... Oh, I can't remember. But anyway, they had playlisted the first single off the album. It was the first time we'd got commercial radio. And um, so it actually did quite... It was actually the highest charting single we ever released was the first single off the third album. <laughs> and, um, and we did this show and um, we you know, just got no money for it. As you, know, you were starting to have a few of these sorts of things. Mm. And... Uh, and then they just dumped it. It wasn't going very well. It wasn't rating well, whatever. Yeah. And then they didn't want to know about you after that. You know, so that sort of was a sour taste. Yeah. And then another situation um, after that, another station, another one of the big commercial stations asked us to do a, a free show, but they would play our stuff. You know, it was a exposure yeah. thing. And... Uh, and again, we did the show, and it was with Zed, and you know, it's not really my favourite. It was mm, like I was mm. pretty jaded about the whole thing by this point. Mm. <clears throat> I wasn't that keen. And we also the funny, the, the funny thing that we did actually find really funny was that um, Mark couldn't play bass on that show, so we got this. I can't remember her name. She's um, very, very beautiful woman. I can't remember her name. She's a very good bass player too, and she filled in for the show. And afterwards, there was a queue of people wanting her autograph. <laughs> she was only in for the one show. One show. And then we nice got, point of difference. <laughs> so we got put up in some accommodation and given a meal. I think it was pretty mm. much all we got paid. And we, um, we were, it was in Wellington, I think. And uh, I left my drumstick bag in the boot of the, the guy from the radio station's car mm. when he dropped us off. And I rang him and said, I've left my drumstick bag. And he said, no, it's not here. Mm. And I knew it was there, and it was where it was. And I, I'd never lost anything. I think mm. I was really good at not losing things. I was really annoyed with myself. And then not to get it back, I knew it was in the boot of that guy's car, and he just went, no, it's not. And, you know, you collect a whole lot of good yeah, you, yeah, uh, yeah. Um, stuff in your drumstick bag, yeah. and it's just all gone. And uh, so uh, it seems like a small thing, but these things niggle no, away. No, it all mounts they? up. It's all, and you're just yeah. like, oh, really starting to yep, this. totally. I really don't like doing it. Yeah. So we just, cool. um, we just packed it in. And I guess the expectation uh, falls on Jeremy of anyone to like, oh, you, you know, you're going to carry on and do things. The rest yeah. of you were probably able to slip off into your lives a little bit easier. I'm not I, expecting you to answer for him, but is no, that an but accurate I, kind I, of... I think that's fair. I mean, yeah. I did some stuff with Jeremy. We did another little project and we even got asked to write some songs for the Australian, um, uh, you know, pop star thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. We got asked to try and write some yeah. songs for those, so we yeah. did. They didn't get used. Yeah. It's a price surprise, we quite pop star material. Yeah. <laughs> um, but we did. We we had fun doing it. We mm. just thought, how can we write the cheesiest pop song? And so we and and I thought they were actually quite good cheesy mm. pop songs. Um, and but I think yeah, there was probably there's always an expectation that it's just the traditional the lead, thing. The lead, the lead singer, singer songwriter goes, goes go solo. Do a solo. Yeah, yeah, career. yeah, yeah. And I don't think he really was comfortable about doing that. Yeah. Well, he just wasn't. Yeah. Um, and and I think it's sometimes you you got the support of 
band members around you. And him and I, I think we were always very close. Mm. Um, that we worked really well together, and I think that um, I don't think he could imagine doing it differently. He did eventually do do some other stuff, but he could have probably gone on and mm. done a solo career, but he didn't. But I don't. Um, it's good. It works for some. It doesn't. It's not really what others want to do. Yeah. He's continued playing. He still writes some songs, and um, and you know he'll he'll bash them out again this time round. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think he'll enjoy it. And so you have a couple more years in Auckland, and then you make the move down to at some point you make. We yeah. started talking about you sort of decide to get out of Auckland. You've had, had enough there. Had enough. So we did a Carrollton reunion show on the day before I left. Yeah. Um, at the King's Arms, and then I moved here, and that, uh, and I joined different bands because I'd yeah. never been in another band. Yeah, 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 exactly. Pretty much, so I just played with Jeremy and yeah. Mark and yeah. um, and various other guitarists all yeah, the way. Yeah, yeah. Until but, I moved here. But the here. early version of Garrett, what became Garage Land, and then Garage Land, basically. Yeah. And, and then, then you come here, and we talked a bit about Thane's bands and, and and the things you've been involved with him, but. I'm sitting in your room that I would describe as a drum room, a music, right, yeah. a music workshop, a drum room, and I, I count at least seven full kits and about fifteen to twenty snare drums. Yeah. So when did this That's, obsession this started, um, start? This started here. Yeah. Because up until moving here, I had one drum kit and yeah. I bought it. Yeah. I bought it at the rock shop on K Road. Because we, it was at the point we thought I need to get a proper. Drum need to kit. replace the washing machine. Yeah. yeah, I had a drum kit at this point, but it was really cheap. Yeah. And I thought, okay, um, <clears throat> I went and bought it on finance, and um, it was second hand. And I walked into the rock shop, the drum department, and I, um, the guy said, oh, okay, well, you know, you can come play, you can play any of them. There's a few people in the shop, and I'm like, I'm not playing any of them. I mean, <laughs> and I just went, that one looks alright. It's about the right price for me. It was already old. It was from the early 80s. And we're probably talking <coughs> about 1992, mm. 91, 92. And so I bought that. And I still have the, the snare drum sitting up on the very far end, which oh, I actually yeah. gifted to my sister-in-law for her 50th birthday, but it's still sitting up there. Um, and that was the only drum kit I had. I sold it about three years ago. Because it was, I can't believe I managed to live with it for so long. Because it was had those eighties power tom oh, depths, yeah, yeah. and you could never set the the yes, rack, the rack yes. tom up at a comfortable height. But yeah. that's one I played with. Yeah, it's on all of the records. Yeah, and that snare drum's pretty much on all of the records. Um, but I moved here, and I there was a, an old vintage pearl drum kit came up for sale locally, and I bought that, and I played. The, and I was started playing again, and I was playing that, and I, we just thought it was cool because it, mm. it looked cool, mm. and it was good sizes and stuff. And then I just started collecting them and restoring them. Yes, I was just going to say. So you sold lots and lots of yeah. You buy and you buy so, and sell basically. You trade yeah, and I'm you not doing as much of it now, no. but I did. I've done a lot, and yeah. whilst it looks like I have a lot of stuff here, and I do. It doesn't owe me anything because yeah, I've yeah, managed yeah. to make up enough money along the way yeah. buying and fixing up. Yeah. Um, so it's just it's, a little hobby yeah. project that you enjoy. And one day I'll have to let it go if yeah. I don't play anymore. Because if I go through a period of not playing, 
I come in here and I just go, what have I got yeah, all this shit for? It can be excessive. It can be a, um, I've felt it, it can be a bit of a millstone to have one drum kit and not use it. Yeah, You know, definitely. to have um, seven or eight or ten. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> it's a little bit ridiculous. And some guitars and things. Um, like, yeah. This one here that's set up behind yes. you is, um, that gets rented out a lot. Mm-hmm. Right? More drummers... You know, there's, there's some people that play that kit more than I do that on on the road all the time. <coughs> it's, it's garnered a bit of a reputation as um, if you come to Napier and you want a vintage kit, this is where you, mm. this is the one you'll get. Yeah. Um, so there's that. There's some good things about that, and and I um, I do. I'm not really. A, I was never considered myself a gear guy. Now I have a room full of gear, but I still. I was talking about it with a friend yesterday, and I said, I'm starting to consider myself a gear guy, because I yeah. said, look, people go along and say, oh, that snare drum, you can't, no, I don't like those, and I don't like those, because, you know, they don't sound, and I'm like, honestly, snare drums, you know, you just, as long as you tune them roughly in the in a mm. pretty wide ballpark, you can make them sound shit, but you can make a good one sound shit. Yeah. But I said, you can pretty much tune them up, and most things will sound all right, really. Yeah. And I'll... Um, and then you start messing around with sounds, so you start putting bits of tape on them and yeah, yeah, yeah. <coughs> throwing tea towels over them, and it's like, and really, you didn't need a, an expensive drum at that point. Yeah. I think I just love the look of the old ones, and I do yeah. love the history of them. Yeah, yeah. But I don't really totally. care too much about the playing. Um, no, it's beautiful coming in here. I mean I, I, I mean, I remember I nearly bought a cat off you a couple of years ago, and I got cold feet because I had nowhere to put it. Yeah, there's always and, a bit of a problem. <laughs> yeah, and then I, I now have, and I wasn't really playing, but I was looking to, and then now I have my old, you know, old 20-year-old Tama kit, bought new 20-something years ago, um, and still hanging in there. I have that set up in my son's room now, and we share it like he likes to really? play, and I'm playing a little bit. So I do have that space, and I do have that, but it, uh, yeah, yeah, it's funny, like it of course, I want another drum kit now. I yeah, found yeah. room. I found room to set up one. So yeah, now, yeah. I, so now I want two. And I, I've only ever owned two drum kits at one time. I, when I was playing all the time, I had a cheap uh, drum kit that I just decided that I was going to treat badly, and you yeah. know, didn't. I used it, but I didn't care what happened to it. Yeah. And then I had a better drum kit and bags that I just took out for good for gigs. the good gigs. Yeah, yeah, and Sunday that best. was yeah, yeah. That's right, and that worked quite well for a while, and then yeah. I just didn't. I moved somewhere where I didn't have space, so I went down to one. Yeah, and, and to be honest, uh, I've, we've only been living in this place for three years, I think now. Mm. Um, but prior to that, the ten years or eleven years prior to that, I was mm. in a little villa. Yeah, yeah. Because I, I remember had, seeing I some photos, small, just thinking, small single room with yeah, all this crap. In that's it. right. And, um, you would occasionally put things on Facebook, and I would think, man, you know, yeah. who is patient enough to live with this? <laughs> yeah. We don't we don't have kids. So yeah, that's probably that's part of it. That, that definitely <laughs> meant that the room was yes. Uh, and I think I I've always got away with it because it hasn't cost. Yeah, you're not money. I've, you're not buying brand have, new things for heaps of money. I have a budget, and yes. then I um, I buy and sell things, yeah. and I make a bit of money here. Yeah, I haven't been Should doing much. Auction training. It's yeah, it's just a bit of horse trading. Yes, yeah. yeah. you, you can see it. You'll see a, a, a trade me listing for a shitty drum kit, but you'll either recognise that it's actually not that shitty. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Or yeah. 
I still yeah, look the out little for bits them. that it might be a snare drum. I still look out for them from time to time. You know, yeah. that's right because I think, well, one day I'm going to, one day I'm exactly. going to find the thing that I'm prepared to pay for that's going to work out. Yeah. Okay. I'm just not as sharp on it as yeah. I was, so I keep yeah. missing out on things occasionally that do pop up. And, and I'm the same with my my record collection, which I've really got under control now, but it hasn't actually cost me that much. You know, I yeah. was in the situation of getting a lot of CDs and DVDs for free when they had a currency right, and yeah. I traded them in when I was done with them for records and I yeah. spent some money on records but a lot of my record collection uh, which is which is finite as I say and under control and I've sold some of that too like it yeah. really hasn't you know it's got a value attached to it but the big value is sentimental Yeah. but a monetary value it, it has got and some of the things I have got some rare records but they haven't actually cost me that much like I've it's all yeah. under control yeah and I've so thing I is that one day you're going to gonna have to deal that's with right. it. Or yeah. your family. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but I, um, I, I, I can't really explain it. I, I, I have a collector's bone in me that does, like, I've got too many cars. Yeah. For instance, and they're not I was going to really. say, you're a, I mean, you, you let it slip, but I was going to ask you about that, was that you're a car person like you like uh, tinkering with them driving them yeah i do not 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 too much of the tinkering i'm yeah. not a mechanic's ass yeah yeah but i i do like you know my, my i did my trip around yeah, in april I saw and, that. and yeah. my fiat bambina in the south island yeah and you know i've got a couple of and then but i have the same problem there if i'm not using them and i walk in and look yeah. at them i go what am i doing yeah i've said that my, like my dad's got I think he might only have four cars now, but you know, four cars is a lot to have in, a, yeah. in, in this climate uh, too. You know, and he spent his whole life around cars, so that's you yeah. know, he was a, a dealer, and that's why he's got them. And he's and they're not expensive cars, but they're precious to him. Yeah. But it's like, why don't you use them? So now he's sort of like, when he goes to golf, yeah, he's, take got one this, of he's got this old Jag, and that's his golf car. Right, yeah. And I was like, well, you're retired, that's your luxury, that's awesome. It's better yeah. that you use it than it's sitting in a shed. Yeah, and honestly, drums are better because they, I think so. you, you, don't, you can actually leave, leave them in this room for a year and yeah. they won't change, whereas the cars yeah, yeah. don't like being left. And they're not burning up the environment. No, you know, they're not no the, the cars are, um, are a, weird, um, a weird one. I have a love-hate Yeah, they're a bit of a weird indulgence, I think. It's a weird indulgence, um, but... And I and I'm also not one of those car people that has a problem with electric cars. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the where, idea that we should we need to transition away from petrol. I mean, I've got a bunch of petrol cars that you know suddenly the market, the bottom of the market fell out. Mm. I'd be left um, a little bit sad. But where did the love of cars come from? How would you trace that back to? When I was a kid, I, my dad's not. Re I mean, he's a car guy. In as much as you know, when hybrids and electrics were first coming in, and he's in his eighties now, but he's always followed it with great mm. interest, and and he'll you can talk your ear off about it. Mm. Um, he loves that sort of stuff. So, but he's not like your traditional yeah, car person. Yeah, like it sounds like my dad a bit. Yeah, but when I grew up, when I was growing up, I really got into Italian stuff. I loved my Fiats and stuff, and I just, I, I aesthetically just thought they were really cool even though they broke down a lot and rusted horrendously and I gave that sort of all away but again it's one of those things we've got it's hard to see on on the recording but <laughs> yeah. it's a quite a big property which yeah was quite a canny buy in that 
um, we share it with my brother and sister-in-law. Mm. So there's two houses. One, we're in a little cottage, it's mm. tiny. Mm. And there's a main house and we've got an Airbnb on it. But it's got a big section with some buildings on it. And when you've got space, you find ways of filling it. Yeah, yeah. And if we decide to move, then I've got... Problems. I've got problems. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I have my favourites and the thing, the Fiat Bambina is... And it's not a pretty car mm. um, in that it's rough. Um, but I love that car. Yeah, and, yeah. And I, that was the first car I ever owned. I, it was a fit, but not this particular one. Yeah, yeah, but the model. So yeah. And, um, yeah. So I've had other yeah. ones, and there's other ones out in the shed, and they're really cool and in much better condition and stuff. And I go, I could probably get rid of all of them and just keep the little. So this goes back to you um, wanting to be at the engineer's desk and having input into the record. It's that, you know, the collecting thing is having some control in the world and making yeah, making maybe, some yeah. sense and order of the world, making it sense for you. A, th a thing that you you understand without, you know, without question. Like you understand the order of things through that. Yeah, it's... I don't burden other, my friends or with anything. It. With yeah, it. yeah, that's right. It's that's what I mean. It's, your, very it's your thing. And if someone asks yeah. you about it, you're going to yeah, you talk about, about it. it but, yeah. but you're They'll not, regret it too. That's right. I already, <laughs> I already am. But they, no, they, they are not going to, you're not going out of your way to go, you know. No, no. Have I you don't. got 10 minutes to talk about Fat Bambinas? Like, you're not I'm, trying to do that. I'm, I'm the it's only one from, you know, this band that has, yeah. you know, known each other forever. The rest of them couldn't yeah. give two shits about it. So they don't know. Well, Mark a little bit I guess but certainly Jeremy <laughs> they're just wheels now this, this is not just a, uh, a drum room this is by design it, it can be or by default it can be a rehearsal room and you mentioned to me before we started recording that you've actually sneakily held a, a sort of part rehearsal in here for um, the 25th anniversary tour that we've yeah. talked about very briefly but not I feel like we should finish talking about that so you're yeah. you're going on the road around the country to celebrate 25 years since last exit to Brooklyn uh, last exit to Brooklyn last yeah. exit to Garageland yeah so the idea was I, I, a couple of years ago I think it was a couple of requests came in from people yeah. that wanted us to do a show. Yeah, it's was, not the first reunion. You mentioned doing We did one, one in 2007. You, and then another in, what, 2015 uh, or something? 15, yeah, yeah, the other's way. Yeah. Um, and but so since was, you always get, like, the odd request, like... Yeah, and there were similar requests yeah. to, like, the other's do way one. Festival, but, yeah. Um, and I wasn't really... Because, you know, it's, you know, even doing the other's way, it was quite hard work. Cause, yeah. You know, yeah. Mark, the bass player, lives in Christchurch, and I live in Napier, and Debbie and... Jeremy are in Auckland. Mm. And that's you're quite all hard doing to get together. Yeah, yeah, we're all right. very, you know, it's very hard to get everyone together. Yeah. Um, so I would always say no to those other ideas because I just went, you know, a one off show um, and trying to get everyone to rehearse for that. Um, it's just you know, too hard. But I said, I'd said to Jeremy, I said, look, if we're going to do something, he wasn't that keen either. Mm -hmm. he, was, he would just go, well, if everybody else wants to do it, I'll do it. But he wasn't that keen. I said, about two or three years ago, I said, maybe the 25th anniversary is coming up. Maybe we do a... A thing for that. We would do a thing for that. Because then we can do a proper tour. Yeah. And he was sort of... You know, he goes, oh, I'll think about it. He wasn't really in, the, in the, that keen or in the mood. But at least it was a few years down the track. And then last year he came to me and said, I know you really want to do this. And I was like, oh, if I really wanted to do it I just felt like um, if you're going to do if it we're going to do time. it this is yeah, the, yeah. This, is the yeah. thing, this is the way to do it yeah. so um, 
so I said okay well I'll, um, I'll come up with something and now we're doing it and um, so I've got I had apart from Debbie she is going to be part of it but you know it's hard to get her um, in for rehearsals she's got a lot on her mm. plate mm. so she will be coming down next month for rehearsals here but we a last was it June June we had um, Jeremy and Mark flew or Jeremy drove down and Mark flew up and we've got another guitarist who's helping out on the tour a guy called Anthony Flack and so we were able to have some proper rehearsals and it sounded pretty good considering it's been since 2015 yeah, yeah. Um, since we've done them plus we're doing the whole album and yeah. we never did the whole album yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah so you're actually of, learning some songs there's a couple played. of tracks on there that I can't remember if we ever played Fire Away for yeah, instance yeah. but it's not that hard the one that was always going to be difficult we did do Never Gonna Come Around Here Again um, but we always we often used to mess it up because it's kind of random in the mm, recording it's mm. it's not um, it's not structured it it's almost, it sounds jam. A lot of the recordings on the album sound like we sort of just jammed them out and recorded them, and it is a little bit that way, which is quite cool. But when you go to play them live, it's like, how did we even record it? Mm. We can't even play it. But anyway, I think we're on top of that one now. Um, and also, back in the day, we would only play the longest we ever pl pl played was about 50 minutes, mm, maybe mm. an hour. But mm. I think we might say we were doing an hour set, but I think they only ever got to about 50 45, minutes. Yeah. Um, so this would be more like 90 minutes. Um, so we have to get in shape because we're Cause you play the, five years old. Yeah, you play the album and then you obviously play a smattering of things from the other yeah, we're going to play the EP and we'll the, the singles. We'll play the whole of the EP and the whole of the album, and yeah. then some of the other tracks off the other couple of records. Two yeah. records, and yeah. Um, yeah, it should be. Oh, it's fun to do because you know go back and um, uh, do them again. But it, you know, it's quite a physical show yes. um, for the drummer, at least. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you yeah. Well, you're practicing. probably the most, in some ways, the most match fit. Of the band and in, in terms of what you've Between, been doing the last few certainly years. Mark and I, but uh, yeah. as as uh, Anthony, who's a, who's our new guitarist, um, well, he's our security yeah. guitarist. Yeah, he's the pro that we've brought in to, to make ourselves um, feel more secure. Yeah, yeah. And he said to me in a message yesterday because I said, oh, I actually had a go at practicing the whole album at full noise mm. yesterday, and he goes, it's just a couple of points where there's a couple of fast songs together that you know, I, you know, it's really it's quite hard mm. and he said he goes I, I did notice when we were rehearsing the garage land stuff last month he goes because i thought geez andy's playing playing a bit more hard out than he does in his gentleman's bands right and, <laughs> and uh he said something along the lines of um what is it nick mendy the megadeth guy he goes just don't go dropping dead in the middle of the gig mm. like keep like mm. nick mendy mm. he goes although i could probably I could probably fill in. The show must go on, <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, so it's good you got thanks." And he, goes, and he goes, "Don't <laughs> yeah. worry." He goes, "Nick Mendy was oh, 51. Uh, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> he was being a, he's a funny bugger. Yeah, he's yeah. Good. No, he's good fun. It's good you got a multi-instrumental um, sub. In yeah, the background. He, he can play. <laughs> he can play everything. Yeah, um, yeah. He's really very talented. Yeah. And, um, but he's also I, I like the guy. He's yeah, a good yeah. friend. And yeah. Um, I think that he might, I think, you know, he's fun, a bit intimidating 
meeting the rest of the band. He still hasn't met Debbie. Right, yeah. So yeah. he's he's got uh, I many and he'll be fine with Debbie. But yeah, I yeah. mean she's she, I, I think she was a bit um felt that, that I brought brought this guy in to replace her. So yeah. I had to explain I, I haven't. Uh, he's um, there to help all of us. He's there to help out. You know, <laughs> yeah. no, just, yeah. um, and Deb, and and Jeremy was really keen on the idea because yeah, yeah. he was just like, oh no, it might, yeah, it'd be really good. So he yeah. could take some of my parts off me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it'll sound, it'll just give it a fuller sound. Yeah, because again, like as with it being that expectation around Jeremy around solo stuff, it's it's possibly the the biggest uh, for a lot of people watching the biggest workload will seem like it's come from him in terms of the emotional yeah. revisitation. It very uh, much is. Yeah. It, it, it is, and it's there's a lot on his shoulders. That's it. He's carrying it in the focal point sense. Yeah. So anyone coming to the yeah. shows, uh, keep that in mind. Yeah. But I think it's... It is, it's I think you're preaching difficult. to the converted with the show, though, right? Like, yeah. I feel like the people yeah. that are going to go... I mean, maybe there's some people that are like, I've heard of that band, I never got to see them. But there'll be a lot of people that remember yeah. seeing shows, which is cool. And I think we'll, we'll be good. I'm I'm determined that we will be um, well-rehearsed. Yeah, yeah. Um, Not shit. We won't be shit. <laughs> Which is a but great... There will be those, I always think that's a great benchmark. It, like, I think that's not pretty shit. much... It's, yeah. That's... You know, because you can be shit. Yeah. And we have been shit. Yeah. Uh, every band's had shit nights. That's right. Well, I don't think we'll have any shit nights, but we might. There will be some hiccups. I guarantee it. But mm. uh, when we did The Other's Way, Jeremy really couldn't find the note to pitch mm-hmm. on Nudestar, and so he just, he aborted. Mm. And I know Mark could never quite understand why we just wouldn't give it another crack, but I mm. could. And I, mm. you know, it's... Um, it's just not going to happen. Well, that's and if good you, imagine if you had it, okay, wasn't quite working. We'll have another go at it, and you, and it doesn't work the Again, second time. It yeah, starts, to, it starts to get painful. Comical, yeah. So well, that's, this, the, that's the great sympathy of um, a drummer who can sing. Yeah, you I, know, of understanding. Yeah, the, what it takes. And I do basically get the same thing sometimes. I do a lot of singing in the bands that I'm in now. Yeah. I'm in a Beatles. We do a Beatles yeah. tribute about once a year. Yeah, and I do the. I'm in two Bowie tribute bands, yeah. and I do a lot of singing. And the man with Fane, I did tons of singing. Mm. But I get times where, particularly, you get some bass frequencies coming up through the stage. Yeah. yeah. Where I'm playing along, and I'd be going, if I was the lead singer right now, and I'm having to launch into the first note of this, I'm no idea what it is because everything, my yeah. ears have started to yeah. get fatigued, and I've always had this. And I'm just sing, and as soon as the lead singer sings the first note, you're like, "Oh, that right, I, I, I'm with it. I'm where I, I get where we are, pitch wise now." Mm. So people think that I've got pretty good pitch, and I think I have got pretty good pitch, but sometimes I've lost it. I lose that pitch. Yeah. And I can totally. So when Jeremy had that, and he didn't have this is not something he, I think he'd had experienced before. Um, but over the years of abusing hearing and stuff like that, um, mm. I could totally understand. It's like, no, let's just we'll we're backing away from that song. Let's go mm. to the next one. Um, and you know, it probably won't happen this tour, but it might. So I mean, I'll I'll include a link to all of the tour dates now. But it's October, isn't it? It's, October. I've got my ticket already. I know that. So yeah. So it's Christchurch, Dunedin. I think that's eighth and ninth, and then. Wellington's about the 16th, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, so it's 15th Auckland, 16th Wellington, and 22nd Napier, and 23rd Tauranga. 
Awesome. Oh, I might even try and come up for the Napier show as well. Yeah, well, Napier, I'm determined yeah. that because that, Napier, it's, it's notoriously hard and yeah. banished music, the promoters, and I don't yeah. think, you know, Ruben's completely sold on the idea of doing a Napier show because yeah. he's like, oh, well, you know, Napier will do what Napier does. But yeah. the thing is, I went to see Courtney Barnett the other week yeah. or last week and that sold out in a week. Yeah. And I'm like, well, it's a challenge. Yeah. If Courtney Barnett can sell out, it's only 250 people. They can do it. They you do sell do out it. the odd show. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I'm determined that we should um, be able to fill that room. Because it is going back to um, the uh, 25 years ago, mm. whilst the album had gone to number three in the charts and sold a lot of copies, mm. Mm. I was working in a record shop and no one knew who I was. Mm. We were pretty anonymous. Well, certainly the drummer's always anonymous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And people were coming in and I'd queue at the door, front door of my shop and the boxes had just arrived and I was just selling them out of the box. That's Hundreds a, of them. True Tone Records had really been supportive and they'd ordered yeah. a big order of yeah, it. And yeah. we were <coughs> just selling them just out of the box. Just I'd never experienced anything like it and um, it was great. And um, But outside of Auckland and um, you know, we had, there was a bit in Hamilton, mm. a bit in the South Island and yeah. Wellington. But once you got into the regions, you were mm. kind of nobody because mm. mm. uh, the internet wasn't around then either. That's right, yeah. And so there's a bit more, um, I think a, a bunch of people have, from that period have probably moved to the regions, mm. but also there's a bit more, um, there's a few more ways to advertise it and get it out there. Yeah. Um, and you know Napier even has a radio station that's kind of the, an odd radio station mm. that you can you can hear ELO followed by the Clean followed by Joy Division followed by the Libertines in a row that actually and, you're like, right, yeah. and it's actually quite listenable yeah that sounds pretty good to um, me <laughs> and then with a bunch of ads for yeah. you know um, yeah, yeah. a bed shop yes um, and stuff <laughs> but the thing is was... you know they'll, they'll play some garage and stuff we'll get you know so yeah. um, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking that the, the shows are selling well I think um, I don't know how these things go but yeah but it wasn't met with, it wasn't met with total lack of interest at all wasn't no, it it feels like it was met with uh, it, it certainly yeah, looks some enthusiasm. like it certainly looks like the power station will sell out and Which is um, awesome. you know and it's a you know I I've, I was very dubious about doing a power station yeah, yeah. show but great venue so uh, it's a really good work, venue yeah. I really love yeah, the venue and yeah. I've played there a couple of times and yeah. I, it's a good venue yeah but I wasn't but I think with no international acts and stuff that's it um, yeah 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 you can do some pretty big shows now. Yeah, and people get into the um, classic album show and the anniversary yeah. show, and this is both. Um, yeah, you know, and everyone's and doing that. And, and I did and see. It's not like you've. Um, it's not like you've worn out your welcome with reunion tours. This is no. actually the first full tour. This is the first full tour in twenty five years. You know, you've years, done so. some shows, but yeah, this is and the, they've and all been in Auckland. Yeah, so, that's, um, that's what I mean. This is the first time you're hitting outside of Auckland. Yes. Yeah. So I think. Um, yeah. What. Well, and we won't, we're unlikely to do it again, I yeah. imagine. Well, maybe we will, I don't. Who knows, you, you, might no. be, you might be writing new material. Uh, yeah, next thing you know, oh, yeah, we're doing another album. But um, Scorpio rewriting. It, it, yeah, <laughs> yeah, trying to rewrite the wrongs of that album. But there will be, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't think we've... I, 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 there was a quite nice post by James Milne um, about, mm. you know, he's doing his... Um, yes, yeah. Tour, and he said, you know, but it's a good idea to support the. Yeah, I thought that was really nice. Bands, and Dim and thought, Dimmer are doing their one and stuff, but there's, yeah, I yeah, like to, well, you know, it's cool seeing all of this stuff too. You get to sort of our age and you start, um, 
when I talk at our age, I'm yeah. my age. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of your peers don't listen to anything new. They just yeah. have no idea yeah. um, what is new out there. And yeah. I'm still, I'm not as voraciously looking for it and listening to it as I was when I was younger, but I still do seek out stuff and go to gigs. And um, I thought that was a good sentiment because yeah. um, I think people should, you know, it's there are some really fantastic shows that I've totally. been to that where no one has turned up. Totally. Yeah, well, like that Spines uh, Julie Lamb one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I'd saw um, <laughs> Louise and Nicklin a couple of weeks ago at Paisley Stage, mm. and I think I was one of about 15 people there. Yeah. Some of my, and that included the support acts. I saw Bolter Space in Napier at the State of It, which oh, was yeah, the state we movie played a gig there. Yeah. And I think I was one of five people. Yeah. So maybe, maybe four, and... Um, and I still maintain it's one of the greatest shows I've ever some of ever the, been to. But I'm I'm serious. There was less than half a dozen people. And so. and some of the best shows are the ones where no one was there. But possibly yeah. not for the financial aspect no. for the uh, artist involved. But yeah. I remember seeing Steve Abel the first time he came with a full band uh, to the Cabana, and I think there was six of us there. Mm. And it was a great show. Yeah, they were having yeah. a good time, but it wouldn't have it wouldn't have felt great no. the next morning when they looked at. The bank the, account. The bank account, but yeah, and I've we've all done those shows. Yeah, that's I mean, right. Really, um, I've played to. I, I did a I did a few years playing with Devil's Elbow when I first mm. moved here. I remember going to Nelson, and we played a gig, and I stopped. We stopped in the middle of a song because there was no one in the room, and um, there was three people there, but they'd all gone out for a cigarette together, and we were just playing to nobody. Yeah, I went. Oh, we'll just keep going. Yeah. And um, but everyone's done those shows, and yeah. and you you laugh at them later, but it is quite <laughs> it's quite worrying at the yeah. time. You're like, oh. No, well, you're not going to have that worry with 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 this because you 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 know you've already got some ticket sales happening. Yeah, and, tickets and, will be and, fine. And, I mean, Banished Music tell me that they are very confident. Ruben's very confident that um, the main centres are all going to sell yeah, it. Yeah. He's got the ticket sales are at a point where. <clears throat> Um, that's all going to be sold out. Don't worry well, about it. He goes, but Na- Napier and Tauranga will do whatever Napier and Tauranga yeah, do. Right. Yeah. But I'm like, no, I'll make, I'd live in Napier. I'm, yeah. I'm going to be doing my dance. Yeah, that's to make right. Sure it's, 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 your victory, it's a victory lap in a way. Well, it's, or whatever. People have had to hear this. I don't talk, to be honest, I don't talk about my garage land years much with the people yeah. that I've become friends with here. Most of them are aware of it, but yeah. occasionally. I'll get a Facebook post after announcing this tour, and I go, I didn't know you were in that band. Yeah, I don't yeah. go on about it, so yeah. I don't want to. Yeah, but I will be going on about it a little bit more. Mm. So, um, well, I it's nice because be I, I said this off tape, but I want to sort of just um, put this out that you know, you and I first talked about having this conversation a while ago, and it just yeah. hasn't kind of worked out. So it's a bonus that we yeah. can sort of plug this tour. I was going to talk to you anyway. I think the first time you asked me, I just thought, oh, what am I going to talk? I know about? you did. You you were reluctant, and I, I was said, reluctant because I thought, yeah. I'm I said I want to come and look at your drums and, yeah. and talk drums with you, and I you said I'm... no one wants to hear that. Well, I just thought I'm a drum guy, but I'm not really a drummer's guy. But that's exa- uh, that, that's what I was interested in, because I yeah. feel the same way. Not that I have yeah. loads of drums, but I, I know my level of drum playing. I, I know that I'm not amazing at playing, but I also know that every gig I've played, I've managed to do it. Yeah. And, and I haven't been... If I have been the worst thing on stage, which I may well have been, 
I haven't been the reason, you know, I haven't let the side down. No. I might, I might not have been the best player, but I've, I've done my best, and so I know my And that's a pretty reasonable benchmark. That's it. Not shit. I'm, yeah, again, not shit. That's the thing. I'm, um, not, I'm not shit. And I think I do what I do perfectly well. Yeah. Uh, I don't, um, and I, I want it to be good. Yeah. So I, I want the... I, I, yeah, I want always it to be aim a bit more than shit. That, no, but, that's right. Know, always but, aim for good. Um, settle I, for not shit. And I think <laughs> I can get away with. I mean, actually, there's even drummers that I know in my life that are much more um, mm. proficient than me. There's some good drummers in Napier and in Hawke's Bay. You know, they've come along to, and they just kind of love watching you play. So, yeah. for whatever reasons, people will find that in my playing. And but I'm not really a drummer's drummer. I'm not never really been interested in other drummers, famous yeah. drummers. Yeah, you know? yeah. I quite like. Um, I did actually a thing about the history of drums at a drum festival mm. at the Cabana that Cameron Budge put on, and he asked, "Would I do a history thing?" And I said, "I'll do a history thing if you'll be my demonstration guy. You actually yeah, play yeah, them you do the because I, I, yeah, yeah. You know, I said I want you to play in the style of Gene Krupa and mm-hmm. and." Uh, and I had, you know, the 20, 1920s and then 40s and, you know, and mm. I went through a history up till the 60s. And and I think people thought it was quite entertaining, but I'm not really a... Um, no, I know what you mean. I'm not really... I don't really know that many yeah, drummers, yeah. especially from the more contemporary side of things. Yeah, yeah. It's like people mention names, they go, oh, this guy's incredible. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. like, I don't know who he is. Yeah. I was never really that person, but... Um, um, but weirdly, I have a room full of drums, so you know it's a it's a weird contradiction going on there. But <laughs> no, no, I think you've, I but think I you've... think I thought, well, I can talk about drums, but I can't talk about drummers. Yeah, right. And I can't really talk about drumming because you know well, I can't man- even do a press roll. We've managed <laughs> <laughs> we've managed a good chat, and we've had plenty of um, enough drums talk that we haven't put off the non-drummers. I think, which is yeah. a, which is a pretty good thing to aim for because I, I I feel the same way like I know some drummers some famous drummers I know about some of them but not not enough to hold my own in a conversation with a serious drum geek and I and I also don't actually want to be in that conversation yeah well but if it's I, any com- consolation neither are, yeah, am I yeah. I'm a member of a couple of Facebook yeah yeah drummers pages and when people and I'm only there yeah. to see if someone's selling a cool old vintage yeah yeah, yeah 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 I'm so, there for, I'm there for the pictures <laughs> yeah and once they start talking or a video of yeah, them yeah. doing something and yeah. and I'm like I, I, I just shrug and go <laughs> I'm, I'm not that interested yeah um and I kind of, in some ways, I wish I was, but yeah. I'm just not. Um, yeah. and, and I'm not a, yeah, I'm not the the drummer that will dominate the thing in yeah. the same way that you'll, you'll get guitarists that do the same thing. So that probably has worked for a lot of people, even yeah. Fane. I yeah. think that my style of drumming meant that I wasn't going to be too um, uh, intrusive, um, and particularly when we were doing the bend um, tours and stuff like that, we'd be playing in people's lounges, mm-hmm. and they'd been some of these people would do lounge concerts all the time. They mm. never had a drummer in there, mm. and I'd have to say, "Yeah, it's okay. I want you. you <laughs> you'll hardly know I'm yeah, here." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> so I think that I work in that sense, but you'll know I'm there in the Garage Land tour. Um, yeah. Even I know that I know that I'm going to know that I'm there. <laughs> <laughs> well, all the best for the tour. I'm yeah. really looking forward to it, and um, as I say, I've got my tickets, and I'm. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm super looking forward to it, because I, I reckon I probably saw the band play four or five times, maybe not much more than that. 
That's that's plenty. Yeah, it was really, good, but yeah. that's twenty five years ago, and, yeah. and 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 twenty three years ago, I wouldn't have seen you much after ninety six, ninety seven. No, I don't know if I saw any of the shows after the second album. Yeah, I think we got more proficient at that mm, point, but mm. we were maybe man. Oh, no, I'd really enjoyed that period where we yeah. had Andrew Claridge's from yeah. our British guitarist. Yeah, yeah. So I loved playing with Andrew because he was like a real musician's musician, but mm, mm. maybe lost. Um, and he had a full appreciation of what Debbie bought. Yeah. And so he was very respectful. And so is Anthony, actually. Yeah, yeah. Because he said to me, he goes, really love Debbie's parts. Mm. He goes, they're simple, but he goes, they really gave a real direction to um, these songs that you yeah, wouldn't have got time. from a lot of other people. So. I think, um, and I think we were all kind of that sort of musician. Yeah, yeah. Well, that that covers band that I played in through university, we we didn't do a gig without playing beatlines together. We played finger pops, and we also played comeback a little bit, but we didn't do a gig without playing beatlines for for about four years. See that? Well, that's good. Yeah. I mean, beatlines is the probably the most doable one. Yeah. I tried. But it's um, just a nifty little song. Like I know we played it in venues because we played. A lot, and we played in Hawke's Bay and um, a lot in Wellington, but we play in Hawke's Bay, and so we had a couple of gigs up here to, to nearly no one. And I yeah. know we were playing that song to people who probably hadn't heard it. Yeah. Even though it seemed like it was everywhere. If you've got an older yeah. generation in a, in a you know, restaurant pub thing, which we did a yeah. couple of times. Yeah, they're not and, it, know. and it's yeah. still, a, it's got that kind of toe-tapper well, thing never, about it. It was it's never a, on ZM. Or, but it has got know. that toe-tapper kind of thing about it. It's just it does, easy yeah. Well, it beat, sounds like Buddy Holly. It's you a know? beat combo throwback yeah. thing. Like, yeah. And it's, yeah, it's, and it's probably the easiest one to yeah, play. that's right. Because honestly, comeback and particularly finger pops are not that easy. No. Because I tried no, playing them with a band that I've been in since I moved here and we still play a yeah. couple of times a year. Yeah. And they said, let's try doing, I can't remember if it was comeback or finger, but it might have come back. But they just couldn't play it fast enough. I go, I always thought I go that's good guys, but it has to be a lot faster. I never saw this said anywhere, but I always thought finger pops sounded like very early police. Right. When it gets to the, when it gets to the sort of, the shouty, yeah. it's... It's a lot like the first police record and the well, very I've never heard that before, but yeah. Well, to me, yeah. I you know I associate it with it's it. It's kind of and it's weird because that's the difference between where we started and where we finished. Yes. Um, with that album, where all my drums are quantized to make it sound <laughs> absolutely in time, but if you put a, a metronome to my drums on that, it doesn't work. And we right. Yeah, yeah. Someone tried to get me to play one of those songs to a click track. Yeah. And it's just you go come back. If you play the chorus at the same speed as the verse, it's just horrible. And I wasn't <laughs> yeah, trying to play yeah. it faster, but that's just it's just your adrenaline jumps up and you can jump up into the chorus. Mm. Same with finger pops. It's um, you know, mm. it's got weird tempo. The tempos go up and down because that was just the way I played. Mm -hmm. But if you try to play it um, all at one, if you try to put a metronome through it, it would just lose. It would just you'd take the air out of the tyres. Yeah, yeah. Endlessly. Yeah, yeah. Hey, nice drum chat and a little yes. little car um, oh, analogy, a car. little car analogy at the end. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I feel like that's a good place to leave it. But is yeah. there anything that you wanted to put across or wanted me to ask before we wrap up? No, I think we've pretty much yeah. covered it. Really. That was a good. That was a good yeah. chat. Yeah, that was nice good. one. Thanks. I fell down once. You held my hand. No, you never ever talked about it. I
Lutz.